0: Episode 245 is now underway unofficially. We're warming up with Hot Shot Scott.
1: Unofficially, yes, I'm warming up.
0: Episode 245. Mhm. I think after what we put everyone through on episode 244, <laughs> yeah. the audience oh, in that the, first segment yeah, the Little with stuff. the samamish issaquah yeah. softball little league Willis Reed
1: routine you know?
0: i think that we owe them some sort of like an update update gotcha
1: yeah. it did feel like we were doing the podcast for like my friends because <laughs> i got so many people reaching out to me
0: by the way for 244 <laughs> episodes we've been doing
1: that's true i guess the podcast for yeah. my friends it's coincidental if somebody else happens to like it right yes
0: i never knew and mm-hmm. all the years that I know you yeah. I never knew you to have a little Arthur Fonzarelli in you oh I have a lot of Arthur Arthur Fonzarelli
1: in me leather jacket motorcycle lover no, that kind of
0: thing. no not being able to say that you're wrong oh am I wrong this is so Fonzarelli well, I haven't
1: checked yet did Sammamish finally okay. get a hit at the state tournament okay. I haven't looked no Don't deflect. I'm just asking. Has there been a base hit?
0: Don't be Mitch Levy. (laughs) Be a a bigger man than Mitch Levy. Who am I? Mitch Levy or Arthur Fonzarelli? You said over and over. You taught me a catchphrase last week. Yeah. And you you said it over and over again. Yeah. One, two, barbecue. I had never heard that before, which apparently means... You you're win gonna, two, and then you have a barbecue. No, you're going to lose both the first and the second game in state yeah. after the controversial ending of the oh. District Nine yeah. and all the fallout. Although I think some nice things have happened since, even though you, you won't you won't admit that either. Oh. I, I even have I even have a note I could read to you yes, that as, was sent as to I. Have a I know feel. you do. Have I know you. <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. Yeah, it but seems you to be a you, bit of a pattern. But but, but you said you you, you said one two barbecue you yeah. pretty much assured that the Samamish, my favorite Samamish softball team <laughs> with my favorite first baseman was going to go to states yeah and they were going to get beaten the first two games and be on they wouldn't even have to unload the station wagons other station wagons anymore i don't think so okay they won game one now you're going to say they didn't get a hit and they didn't get a hit maybe fluky they won one to nothing they're counting that as a win are they yeah oh they no, are okay is, you're not? Well, I mean, I, I'm just See, saying, this is like... Arthur
1: Fonzarelli. Had I been the coach, I wouldn't want anyone to, like, know that happened. Okay. Like, don't read the box score. It's don't, embarrassing. Don't be Arthur Fonzarelli. Don't get no hit at the state tournament. Go ahead. I'm listening.
0: They won the game. They did, yes. one to nothing. Uh-huh. They did. Congrats. With, without the benefit of a hit. <laughs> the benefit. Yes. And then they turned around in game two and won 16 to Ooh. nothing on the day that we're recording. Yeah. So, at the very least, yeah. you owe us a... Uh, it was not one-two barbecue. They may not win the state. They may, if they have to have a rematch with this other team, they may, since it was so fluky, they may lose. Yeah. They may lose every game we'll the rest of the way. One, yes, okay. Ahead. They're playing North Shore or something shore.
1: 120 nothing. They're they're legit.
0: Okay, you also texted me at one point before the game was played that they're going to play a team that never loses. Mm, you kind of tweaked that a little bit. Okay, well, it was like uh, an AAU team.
1: Right. It's mostly made up of a okay. team, a ten U team that doesn't lose, yeah.
0: At the good. very least, mm-hmm. you owe the listeners an Arthur Fonzarelli, I was. I was Timely like,
1: reference, by the
0: way, from 1978. On. Well, we've we jumped the shark. <laughs> Why can't we use the reference? That's true. You were wrong about Sammamish going one, two barbecue in the state. Now, if you can't at least give me that, then I have not known you for the last 25 years. And I don't admit to anything. Even I, you? could, you're defensive. Even I would be able to say, okay, they didn't go one-two barbecue. Yeah. Despite the fact that they didn't get a hit in a one-nothing, understand? Mm-hmm. A little bit fluky, a little a, bit. a lot fluky. Thank you. But sixteen 0 nothing in the second game.
1: Yeah, against who? Who was that? Taylor whatever, or
0: something? Whatever it was, yeah. you knew
1: that team actually got mercyed in the district. Tournament. You knew
0: these teams a were going Hot shot, you knew these teams were going to be, there were going to be some, as you say, turd teams. Yeah, I
1: said that on the way out of your house, if you remember. I said that to you. I go, maybe they'll get lucky. There's always a few turds. But
0: you knew that when you made the prediction one, two barbecue. Right. You knew that. I still
1: think I was right because they got no oh hit. Oh, my God. They got no hit. I was right. They're in over their heads
2: against
0: good Hot teams shot. at the State tournament. They Derivate. won the first two games. <laughs> they did. They somehow. won the first they two They won games. the first two, yes. You were wrong. You were wrong, 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 wrong about my favorite Sammamish softball uh,
1: little league team. Come on. At least my eye for talent is still good. That was the good part of this. When I saw them, I knew they'd be in over their heads. And then they get no hit. I'm like, shit, I could do this again. I could start why, scouting again. Why
0: are you taking a, a dump on, I don't, a, because on the Sammamish Little League team? What is wrong it's, with it's, it's you? It's not the— You went last year to the whole— world. You yeah. almost won the whole thing. It's not the kids. They're drink, nice kids. It's the you're coaches. You're like the 72 Dolphins who have a drink when the, <laughs> They can't get over, over it. Sure. Do, you do you have you, any drinks, by the way? Go yes, get something, would you? Yes. You had your shot. You took advantage of it. You went all the way to the Little League. Yeah. world. We chronicled the whole thing on the show. And then a year later, Piper's moved up in the world as sh- as we'd expect you to do. Yeah. Somebody else comes along. They're in the state. They're representing our district, District right. 9. Yeah. Why do you need to just take a dump all over them? Well, I think it's the deplorable behavior of the
1: coaches to start with. Come on, I think that's probably a good reason. That's, that's not the, the reason.
0: You would have still rooted against them if they were angels. If the assistant okay, coach, because they're from apologized. District Nine, they, they've apologized. I heard on good authority that an Issaquah assistant coach who was in the middle of it all mm-hmm. drove to Vancouver to root them on and was the wow. first person to congratulate. Very, very upstairs. I have a copy of a. They're all of friends. An, of I think an, of an apology i even sent to you that the that the guy in question my partner at aldera was going to apologize it was big of him he he said i was wrong i shouldn't have done that and then he has sent me and has, has said i'll send you the apology that i sent to the institute coaching staff and to the run the district nine person right. or whatever i mean come on I, I, so next time he, he says some something point, shitty
1: and apologizes It seems like a pattern from what people are telling me. Multiple people have reached out about their experience with him and youth sports. So I'm just wondering if it's a pattern. I say something insanely shitty. I apologize. And then I wait a little bit. Say something insanely shitty and then apologize. So, yeah, you're asking me why I'm not rooting for him. I didn't didn't like what he said. If you're asking me, if we're being dead serious, I didn't like what he said about Willis Reed's family in Willis Reed.
0: I <laughs> honestly didn't have, like that. And he apologized Good. for it. Good. Okay. He right. apologized and he wrote a very you want me to I mean I, I can I, read it. I believe it was probably it was a long nice. apology. Yes. It was very nice. Okay. He's my friend. He's that, my partner. I'm trying to be respectful of that that well, he's geez, your friend. if if you're respectful that he's my friend, yeah. then accept the apology and root for the Sammamish <laughs> Little League team in the state tournament. You've had That's asking a spot. lot. You are acting like a so, bitter parent of a now okay. 14 or 13 she 13 14 uh, 13 14 14 so the next
1: time the patriots are in the super bowl i mean they play yes. in the same as the dolphins right you, yes. you gotta root for them i mean it, that's your that's your conference i mean come on you gotta root for them <laughs> right the same thing uh yeah are they in the afc east still i don't even know nonetheless you get the point just because they're in
0: the same district they're... okay okay thank you i thought i think i'll i think i'll accept that but i feel like there's a difference really yeah i think there's a difference So you're saying that if the District 9 team, Mm -hmm. no matter who it is, if it's not named Issaquah, if they go to the – like baseball, softball, if they go to the Little League World Series and they're on the wide world of sports and Jim McKay is on the call, (laughs) Kirk Gowdy is on the call. The thrill of victory. You're rooting for Nebraska or Iowa because this District 9 team – It's not Issaquah. Is that what you're saying? Take baseball out of it. Because that's pretty much what you're telling me about. You're comparing it to the Patriots. And you're right. If the Patriots play in the Super Bowl, I am not rooting for the Patriots as an AFC East team. But I feel like there's a difference Hmm. here.
1: Is it different than like if Oregon goes to the national championship game as a Husky fan? Should I
0: then root for Oregon because it's Pac-12? No, I feel like there's a a difference. That's like the Patriots-Dolphins thing. But I don't know. If a District 9 team is in the Little League World Series and yeah. it's not named Issaquah, we're rooting against them. I can't articulate because I don't even know what the reason is, but yeah. it feels like that's different. It does, right? Really? Yes. That I'm, I'm it's it sort of like Gonzaga. The
1: Patriots. Gonzaga's in the state of Washington, thus I have to be a fan of them. It feels kind of like that. Like wh- okay. why do I have to root for them? All
0: right. No, no. Okay.
1: But by the way, we won't we won't have to worry about that. Don't worry about it. That's not something I'll be faced with. Okay,
0: so you're going to now start making obnoxious (laughs) predictions again that if it happens... Three, four barbecue. (laughs) Three, four barbecue. Yes, that's right. Uh, How did this get so ugly? Well, a number of different ways it got ugly. Yeah. But I don't want to go over. It. Oh, and I don't even it. have a kid. That's, a, that's no. the saddest part is that you, you don't I, this even have my team. I don't, I'm I don't done. You don't have any skin in the I'm game. I'm retired from this whole nonsense. But you're not really. You're kind of right in the middle of I it guess. again. I don't I know. So you're, you've, been, you've been injected, right? And maybe it's me. Maybe it's my fault. I don't know. I'm just rooting for the first baseman of the Sammamish Little okay. League team. Okay. My favorite first baseman. She's basement. probably a great kid. I said she's last time. She's a great kid. I'm I'm sure I don't is. know her, yes. but she's a great kid.
1: How many games of uh, Pipers did you enjoy last year? Do you remember? Was it
0: three, four? I followed it very closely. Oh, you did. Okay. I, did. I, I, I think I was out of town. I oh, you give were. Give me a break on that. Oh, I'm just asking. I want. Is... I want to break. No, yeah. I, I know Piper a lot better than I know the first <laughs> <All> basement <laughs> right. of the little. <laughs> I'm just checking. Well, it's not one two barbecue. <laughs> no, it's not. They've won the first they're two and oh and, two and, two I, and have, I have to eat that. Yes, they're two and zero, oh, and that's just the way it is. It is, and it they is. won sixteen and nothing against a bat. I guess a bad team. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. There are it's a bad win at state.
1: It's two wins at state. What are you going to do?
0: This is episode 245 of Mitch Unfiltered. We're not going to do this for two hours? No, we're not. <laughs> okay. It's available on all podcast <laughs> platforms. Subscribe and rate us, please, on Apple. We could use a, a few five-star ratings. I owe the patrons an apology. Okay. I owe the patrons an apology. Or maybe it's Comcast who owes the the patrons an apology. Oh, okay. There was no Danny Show. There was no shooting the shit show with (laughs) Slickhawk. Say that a couple of times fast. The internet in the house went down on like Wednesday night, Thursday, and it just got restored today thanks to the incompetence of Comcast. (laughs) The incomparable. No, No, quite the the incompetence of uh, Comcast. (laughs) I'm not even going to go through the deceit and the craziness that I've been through the last. It's unbelievable. Deceit? Yes. Like literal deceit twice from... Maybe I should go through from it. From the cable I go company? It? Yes. Would you like me to go through it? I think they're called Xfinity now, but... You can Comcast, call them Comcast, Xfinity, yeah. whatever you want to call them. Deceit and lying, yeah. two instances. I'll give you the two instances, and you tell me if I'm, being, if I'm being too harsh by calling it deceit and lying. Okay. The internet went out like on Wednesday, Thursday... They we went back and forth on the phone. I was on the phone for hours. You know, that whole routine on the phone for hours told them, listen, I need the Internet to be able to do my my job. Can you guys send somebody over? And they said, absolutely. This is Thursday. Absolutely. Even though I was already missing the Thursday recordings. Yeah. Are you going to be there at 10 a.m. tomorrow on Friday? Like an actual time, not a window. 10 to to 12. Okay, Are you going to be there 10 to 12 tomorrow? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'll just push everything back a day. If they're here 10 to 12 and they fix it, fine. Got off the phone. And as soon as I got off the phone, emails started coming in saying, your appointment for Saturday (laughs) from 2 to 4 is confirmed, (sighs) and you are waitlisted for Friday. It's like I have a Seinfeld episode, right? Hold on on a second. The guy literally never mentioned Saturday as a possibility. Yeah. And yet clicked the button Saturday, put me on a Friday wait list, because obviously Friday wasn't available any yeah. longer, told me that Friday was my appointment. And then when I got off after being hours on the phone with him, I got texts saying your appointment Saturday is confirmed <laughs> and you're on the wait list Friday. Now, hope you like that's, it. That's episode yeah. number one. Is that <laughs> deceit? Would you say that's lying and deceit? I would say yes, totally.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's misleading. It, it completely it, it, it wasn't forthright. bait and switch.
0: It was total bait and switch. Yeah, yeah. He just didn't want to tell me that I had to wait till Saturday, right. so he told me that I'm Friday, even though he punched Saturday. And then I found yeah. out after he was off the phone, I oh, couldn't yeah. get back on the phone. You're out of his That's hair now. Number one. Okay. Then Saturday, and you tell me whether this is deceit <laughs> yeah. and lying. Saturday, they come in. First of all, I get an email that says, not an email, a text that says. Hey, this is Max from Xfinity. The text says, I'd like to come 15 minutes early. Oh. I'm in your neighborhood. Terrific. I write yes. Doorbell rings about 15 or 20 minutes later. It's not Max. It's somebody else. They don't know what I'm talking about. I show them the text. Max was coming 15 minutes ago. No, I'm not Max. That person walks into my house. Hotshot. He goes over to my modem. What you need to know here is. That they told me on the phone that after we did the tests, the problem is in the box that's outside the house. That kind of runs like a bunch of houses. They told me that's where the problem lies, they believe. Okay. So You need to know that. Okay. So the guy on Saturday comes. You tell me whether this is deceit and lying. Okay. The guy on Saturday comes, comes into my house. He's not Max. He goes up. He's in my deal for three minutes he unplugs my modem oh no he walks right by me i'm sitting right there on the steps you know the steps where you come up yeah he walks by me to go outside i figure he's going outside to do the box <laughs> yeah, God. he gets in the truck and drives away. that's it that's it
1: not i gotta nope. go nope. Nope.
0: i fixed it or nope just
1: nothing nothing <laughs> really nothing hey but he came back two minutes later with the right tool
0: no he, nothing <laughs> jesus okay That's all? Last you heard of him? That's it. That's it. What? So I get on the phone. What? And I said, wait a second. The guy, not named Max, came in for three (laughs) minutes and then (laughs) left and didn't even tell me he was leaving. I thought he was going outside to the box in the neighborhood. Oh, let me look. Oh, this ticket's been closed. He says it's been resolved. You know how he resolved it? He unplugged the modem. Nothing was working. Would that be called deceit and lying? It's almost worse. I don't know. It's almost (laughs) sabotage. Like, whoa. Like... (laughs) This is what I've been going I through. I have a lot of questions. I don't understand. And didn't plug the modem back in? Didn't or plug the modem. I, I, I'm like, what? where is he? Let me go see what he did up there. I go up there <laughs> and the modem is unplugged. And he did he's done absolutely nothing. Zero. Wow. He's done zero. And he doesn't even tell me he's leaving or that he can't fix it or he doesn't have the supply. Just can't fix I, it. The ticket was closed. He fixed it. <laughs> I mean, geez. So then they have to send somebody out on Sunday. Finally, Sunday, it was resolved the day that we're recording this wow so that's the long-winded answer oh. of why there wasn't a shoot this the shit with slick and a, a p episode with danny because as i would call it the incompetence of you call him xfinity i call him comcast so
1: the neighborhood was out or at least no. some of the houses no no no
0: it was no just me just you just me and how long did it take him to fix
1: it they were here a good couple hours were they okay yeah so something was going on on sunday gosh it must be nice to be able to have a job like that, where you can just be God awful and no one cares and you still have your job. It and- was
0: unbelievable. God, I'm sitting on the <laughs> stairs and if I five minutes, seven minutes, 10 oh, minutes go no. by, I'm like, I'm going to go outside and see how he's doing on that box. Yeah. I go outside and the truck's gone. <laughs> no, Hey, here's my card or no, 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 no not no, a word. Not a word. Just walked right by me, sitting on oh the my steps. Gosh, got his shoes on, got in his truck and drove away. And then had the audacity After unplugging my yeah. he, didn't, he didn't even <laughs> he didn't even have the courtesy of plugging the modem right. back in. Right, right.
1: All that training so we could unplug a modem and not plug it back in. <laughs> he didn't even have the audacity uh. to like tell the people back at the command center that uh it's not fixed. You got to send and just he even told them it was resolved. <sighs> and it sucks cuz you're just, you know, if you have
0: internet through them, you're you're beholden to them. Yeah. Like well, they're, everything they're, we do on on this oh, show yeah. except for you and me. You and me, when you're here, that's the only thing that we really don't use internet for.
1: But then you have to upload it, so you need internet,
0: right? So you kind of- Of course, I can't send it to Dion. There is no show. Right. Like and you're just stuck. Like I, stuck. I know there are options out stuck. there, but and people right now are yelling,
1: get right, rid right, of Xfinity, right,
0: right. go to, go to home and, and go to stream services yeah, for your cable. I can't do any I'm of that the same way. I I'm have, just I'd be out. I'd be a fish out of water. I know that's going to be hard for you to believe. Yes, i be it a fish is. out of water without my cable. But like the Xfinity internet when it
1: works, I feel is great. Like I'm not doing an ad for them, but it is good. Right, your internet's good when it works.
0: <laughs> so what are you going to do? Like I, I don't know. It sucks. So that's Uh, my apology. Sorry, patrons. So you can blame me (laughs) or you can blame Comcast or you can blame Xfinity or you can blame Max who didn't show and it was another guy who showed. I don't know. You
1: sure you weren't a little three sheets to the wind and it was your son texting you saying he's coming over? You sure you didn't mess that up somehow? Would you like me to read the I have
0: them all. (laughs) I don't think anybody wants to be bored with that. Anyway, several weekly short form shows (laughs) typically when uh, the internet works cost $5 (laughs) a month. Um, And if the $5 is a legitimate problem for you and you're craving more content from Mitch Unfiltered, just email me at Mitch, MitchUnfiltered.com. I've got a couple letters that came in or emails that came in. Willis Reed and the trainer, you want to hear that one? Hi, Mitch, I'm guessing you probably have hundreds of versions of the same email, but this is what I think is going on with Sammamish and Issaquah. I have no connection to this story. (laughs) Kind of like hot shot, But I coached in Little League and All-Stars a few times, and I think this is what's happening. At some point during warm-ups and before the game starts, the dugout is officially closed, meaning the only people allowed in the dugout are the players and the coaches. They don't want Timmy's dad coming over to tell him to steal second the next inning in these uh, tournaments. Can the coaches provide medical attention during a game? Absolutely. Rub the knee, et cetera. But I'm pretty sure what the opposing coach was asking or saying was, quote, please don't let any outside help trainers into the dugout during the game, which is already a rule. If there are three coaches in the dugout, they were saying, please don't let anyone else in the dugout. They don't want a sports medicine guy all of a sudden added to the coaching staff. The only members allowed in the dugout are the previously identified and named coaches He goes on to say other things. Love the show, Dave Gallagher. I don't know if it means
1: anything to you, but- No, it does. I think he's right, because guess who called me the day after the show dropped? Or the day the show dropped, I get a call- Willis
0: Reed's father. No. Willis Reed herself. uh,
1: No, she doesn't talk to me. No, okay. She's very shy. Okay. Um, Her little sister talks to me. Uh, The head coach of Sammamish gave me a call, got my number somehow and called me. Oh, yeah. So we had a nice little chat. Did you? And he sort of said the same thing that this guy's saying- Did he hear the podcast? Why Why would he call me to get my tips on the fucking game? Of course, that's why he called me. We
0: got an extra listener. Yes, uh, but that's kind
1: of what he was saying, that he just had made enough concessions. He just wanted to close it off, I think, and he said, had I known it would have caused a shitstorm, I never, ever would have sent it. I wouldn't have cared, blah, you know, the whole th- So So I, I, I think there's probably something to that, yeah kind of bullshit but i think there's something to what mr gallagher no hey I, fonzie I, <laughs> cut it out fonzie. no i but i think this is no one probably right. no
0: one even understands my fonzie references. i don't know that's why i'm asking 45 so. years ago it's okay you look it up everybody if you have internet hi mitch <laughs> radio listener since 2003 podcast loyalist since episode zero my kids play Little League in District 9, Uh-oh. so I'm genuinely interested and entertained when Hotshot checks in about Issaquah softball. The District 9, 8, 9 10 All-Star Tournament is currently underway, and my daughter's team happens to play Issaquah in one of the semifinals on Thursday. You can imagine my surprise when I saw a request for a Scott Soden (laughs) to join our team on Game Changer as a family member of one of our players. After a short discussion with the family, we quickly determine that we don't know Scott. Perhaps Scott's softball drama is coming from inside the house. Sniff. Appreciate you both. Go Valley Little League. Jason. Is Is there a last name? You don't have to say it, but... No. I just copied and pasted it. Apparently, uh, you uh, requested to jump in on the... On, I don't know if he's being honest, because...
1: Is f- he... Lo- well, no, listen, I have a friend. <laughs> so, a friend of mine knows a guy in Valley. I said, hey... Knows I'm, a guy, yeah. Yeah, a dad. I said, yeah. I want to watch that, that game. So, But if it's the same guy, he, he said, no problem. And then he accepted me. And then when, when his team played Issaquah, he booted me. He can't- <laughs> I wasn't able to watch it because of
0: my Issaquah ties. You can imagine my surprise when I saw a request for Scott Soden to join our team on Game Changer as a family member of one of our players. And you're sitting here trying to convince me that you're out of it now. You don't want any part oh, of all. This. I enjoy and, watching. I don't like I, the drama. You're going into Game Changer and asking for permission not to follow a team. I asked my friend eight, Ben. Nine and ten year old. I team? asked my friend Ben. Do you you're know? Sick. Do you know? <laughs> I kind of am. I asked my friend Ben. Do you know anyone on Valley? Because he was sick. at
1: the game and he goes, "Yeah, I know a guy." He goes, "I, I asked him. He guy. said it's totally fine. Yeah, just send it." I don't. He's even not being that. truthful. Come on! I'm not just going gonna,
0: around asking think, random people to be part of their fucking you, team. I just read the email as it <laughs> came in. You think the guy took the time to email me and no, lie? Wait, now I'm going to check.
1: Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to check now. You can you can talk. I want to see who it was I sent the request I'll send to. You,
0: I'll send you a, a copy of the email. How about that? After the show. Can we finish episode 245 or do you want me to stop now? No, no, I'm, I'm listening. Send it to you? I'm happy to send you the, the email. And you can, His kid played on Valley, you said? I don't know. I don't even know what I'm reading. Okay. <laughs> Okay, Go bye. Valley Little League. I don't oh, know then Valley that would be it yes, I don't yes, know what yes. that okay. means. Guests on this episode 245, they will be unrelated to the Sammamish Issaquah oh, dispute. God, I hope so. Dispute, but they are different. We have a different set of guests. Okay, it's not the traditional interviews, sports interviews that we do because okay. it's kind of a you know the dog days of summer a little bit, even though summer's just starting. Well, baseball-wise, for sure. In the sports world, we're all kind of beat up by our Mariners, despite the fact that they won two out of three from Tampa, came back on Sunday from a big deficit in the third inning. So I've got some storytelling for you. Okay. For people who like when we wander away from sports, I've got some storytelling for you. I'm ready. Guest number one, guest segment number one, a woman by the name of Jamie Gehring. She grew up sharing a backyard with a guy named Ted Kaczynski. Wow. Interesting. Until she was 16 years old, he would come over to the house for dinner. He would bring her gifts. And then when he was, she was 16, she turned on the TV to find out something about Ted Kaczynski that the world found out that he was the Unabomber. Shit. So she wrote a book called Mad Man in the Woods. And you know that Ted Kaczynski, because I think you mentioned it, died yeah. a couple of weeks ago in jail serving his life sentence. Jamie Garing is gonna tell us what it was like literally Crazy. sharing a backyard in Lincoln, Montana with Ted Kaczynski and of, their relationship. I mean, these gifts, they weren't packages, were they? I they were mean, not packages. Oh my God. But she tells incredible stories like he poisoned her dog, they didn't know at the time. He pulled a gun on her little sister at one point. She bumped into him in the backyard and he was like, she thinks he was testing bombs at the time. Oh, Just a lot of stories from Jamie Gehring. She actually had, I don't want to pick the wrong word. She liked him in a certain way. Yeah. Okay. He was at times very friendly. Poisoning Um, the dog though. I mean, that doesn't (laughs) sound like salt of the earth fella. No. Interview number one, you listen to her story, Jamie Gehring who grew up with uh, Ted Kaczynski. Can I yes. tell you a
1: quick Norm Macdonald joke about Ted Kaczynski that I that
0: you're not going to laugh at? You love I McDonald <laughs> jokes. Go ahead.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm going to screw it up. But okay. uh, Unabomber Ted Kaczynski was actually captured after 10 years on the run. Yeah. Kaczynski has advanced science degrees from Harvard and yes, from did. Michigan. So I think America can now focus on the real villain, fancy book learning. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the
1: fact that you don't love that as much as me breaks my heart fancy book learning. That is the real villain, yes. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I brought it to a complete stop and I love that joke.
0: So Jamie Garing is our <laughs> is our guest number 1. Guest number 2 is a is another author of a new book. The book is called The Weight of History, The Power of Apology. Oh boy. I figured this was an appropriate time for you To have that particular segment had i done something wrong yes (laughs) go ahead i'm listening (laughs) warren perrin is his name it's the story the book is the story of david berger who was a weightlifter on the israeli national team in 1972 at the olympics do you know about the munich olympic games 1972 when nine were assassinated nine athletes on the israeli national team two were assassinated immediately executed immediately The other seven were taken hostage, Mm -hmm. and then a failed rescue attempt left them all dead. Do you know that story? Yeah, yeah, sure. Warren Perrin wrote the book about David Berger, who was from Cleveland, Ohio, and then was a weightlifter at Tulane University Hmm. before going over to Israel, serving in their army so that he could compete. He had to go through all these hoops to be able to compete as an Israeli weightlifter uh-huh. in the uh, Olympics only to have his life taken from him when he performed. Crazy. Such a crazy story. Incredible. If you yeah. don't know that story, it's an incredible story and very well written and by Warren footage Merrick. of it. I mean, it
1: wasn't that long ago. There was actually like news footage. Well, Jim yeah. McKay, with yeah. the
0: aforementioned Jim McKay was on Wild World of Sports I think for 16 straight hours. You could see the gunfire yeah. and everything else you going it. on. I it was know. It's
1: crazy. Horrifying.
0: Symboli Ruffin is guest number three. She's 57 years old, and she just found out a year ago that her name is Simboli Ruffin. Why? Because she was the oldest living Jane Doe on record in America. This is a woman who was abducted as a one-year-old child and never knew who she was, couldn't get a passport, couldn't get a life. For 56 years, she had no idea. She tried. She put up flyers. She tried to figure out who she was. Yeah. And in her 56th year, there's a great ending to the story. She found out and got her birth certificate in New York and found out who she was. Just an amazing story of perseverance and courage. And when you call her by her name, Symboli Ruffin, she's like, "Ooh, I I don't know. She went by Monique because she didn't know. (laughs) She didn't have a name. So she went by Monique. Well, how about now? She said, it's still very weird to hear people call me Symboli, yeah. which is my name, my my given name. She tells her story of being the oldest Jane Doe in America at 56 years old and looking for just who she was yeah. for 56 years. And finally, she escaped an abusive home uh, when she was a kid. Her mother, I put in quotes, yeah. stole her.
1: Oh. Stole
0: her from another woman in New York. Ugh. As a kid, just took off. Took off. Fire! You're on your own there. Good luck on the streets. Amazing! Wow. The story of Simboli Ruffin. So three different. Yeah. Interviews for this episode two hundred and forty-five.
1: I did like the interview from last episode about the dad and the bucket list. And oh. the that was awesome. That really was good. I was like, wow, she really loved her dad. Like, I, <laughs> I'd probably get through like three of them. Skydiving, ah, I'm out. Sorry, dad. Nope, garbage.
0: Uh, how about the fact that she peed herself in uh, the uh <laughs> and happy to tell you, <laughs> and she could hear her dad in her in her ears laughing at her. Where was she from? Like, where? Did, I'm just curious because she said her husband's obsessed with the Mariners. Yes, it's so funny. When i connected with they're from i think they're from delaware okay when i connected with them on zoom to get ready for the interview yeah. he was setting it up for her and he was wearing a mariners shirt i was like what the hell yeah yeah he's that's- like oh oh i love the man <laughs> he lived here for like a few years oh okay just in the middle of his life he lived here for, and he's been a just a rabid mariners fan he watches every single game huh just so happens that her her husband is a mariners fan. that's the part
1: i focus on of course with the interview is the husband and why he likes the Mariners for all the reasons. It's but. like
0: the guy who looks at the picture that I send out on Twitter and says, Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's that cup that you got there in the background? Yeah. How come you don't water that plant in the background? What is that? I know. By the way. You're that guy. Please tell me you fixed the uh, smoke detectors. I have not. Oh, my God. Now I thought a, I heard it on the way out of your house last night. Now time. it's a rite of passage. Yes.
1: Well, I asked the Comcast wow. guy to fix it. <laughs>
0: he just never showed huh <laughs> oh he lit a fire and left <laughs> so i guess we already know hot Shot, scott that this episode 245 is brought to you in part by the sammamish softball little league team and by evergreen golf Call. tax advisors certified financial planners experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes And investments under one roof, evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, celebrating a complete makeover of their brand new mobile app, Remote ordering has gotten easier than ever. Download and try it. Homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions, the flagship Bellevue location with a brand new look. Fireplaces inside or out, garage doors, begin your search, firesidehomesolutions.com. The Woodenville office of cross-country mortgage. If you go by everything you read or hear about interest rates, you might never buy a house, but you've got to hear from coaching legend Jordan Flowers. He's going to tell you about some special programs they have over there at Cross Country Mortgage and the Woodenville office in particular, 425-890-2957. When you think about Daniel's broiler, you think steaks, you think hospitality, But how about the outdoor dining this summer at the Daniels Broiler locations like Leschi on the Deck, Sea Plains at South Lake Union, and overlooking the world at Bellevue Place, DanielsBroiler.com. Episode 245, ladies and gentlemen, three really interesting interviews, maybe a little different, but give them a try. Episode 245 begins right now. Unfiltered. If he's not a Hall of Famer, he's an absolute miss. Yep. He's a disappointment. I wouldn't say bust. I mean, let's say he goes to five or seven All-Star games. Right. But doesn't quite make the Hall of Fame. He's not Tony Mandrich at that point. He's not Sam Bowie at that point. Unfiltered. In game number 15 on Saturday, he hit for the cycle. Jeez. 21 years old. Took him 15 games to hit for the cycle. He's God. 6'5. He runs like the wind. He's got enormous power. Oh, by the way, he's a switch-hitting shortstop. Mitch is unfiltered. Okay, episode 245 is now. Can I tell you about my latest YouTube obsession? I'm, I'm all years. Yeah. It's something
1: called cart narcs. Cart Narcs. C-A-R-T. It's one guy, and he goes to different grocery stores, and he follows people with a camera, of course, for YouTube, and asks them why they didn't put their cart back where it goes, their grocery shopping cart. You know, some people will just leave it in the middle of the lot. They'll sort of prop it up somewhere else. I mean, you know. It's like the laziest thing you've ever seen in your life. This guy does not let him off the hook. He's insanely friendly, but my favorite part is when he walks up to someone, he does his own little siren sound effect. He'll walk up and go, oh, hello there, lazy bones. Looks like you forgot to take your card back. And then they get pissed off and they pull away. And he's made these like big round magnets, these like magnets that are like flat, you know, like you'd put on the side of a truck. He puts them on the car. He flips them right on, like a, like a ninja throwing star.
0: Whack! They stop. They get out. They throw it. What a great idea! They start to the drive away again. Is Boop! he allowed to use? Are they? They're not pixelated. I don't know how that works with... Does he have to get their permission after that? Okay, now would you sign this release? I I think in
1: in public, in most states, you don't have to ask for permission. Wow. You can just walk up and film police activity, anything, as long as it's in public. It's so freaking funny. Are you one of those guys? That leaves the cart? Yeah. If you had to guess, do I not give a shit and leave it where I want, or do I always take it back?
0: Well, the problem is, is that if you didn't give a shit... And leave it where you wanted. Yeah. I'm not sure that you would admit to that anymore. <laughs> I, would, I would. 25 years ago, I would have said you would admit to it. But after what I've listened to yeah. over the last two weeks about the cement, my favorite Sammamish softball little league team, my favorite first baseman. Yeah. One, two barbecue. I'm not sure that you would look me in the eye and tell me the truth. So what are you? You just tell me. I'm diligent about taking it back. In fact, Piper and I love spotting like people lazy- that don't. Like it'll be it's, like it's easy now because they give you little spots in the parking lot to be able to put it back. Even though I normally take it back to the hole, I yeah. actually go all the way. Oh, back you to do the store
1: because yeah, of the there's time. there's the corrals that they place all over. I mean, they make it pretty easy for you just to push it back where it goes. Yeah, it's
0: a little troubling because after you've been in the market for a while and wheeling the thing, and then you got to take it out to your car, and then you got to unload all the packages, and you by the time you get through all of that, <laughs> yeah. You don't really want to go the next lap. It's like running a 26 mile race and getting to like 25 miles yeah. and eight tenths of a mile going, I can't go on. Yeah. I can't, I can't finish the race.
1: Or you get home from the marathon, I'm not mowing the yard. I can't do it. It's just that one little thing. I just, I, I don't have the I energy ca- for I it. I can't.
0: It's where I draw the line. It's where some people just draw the line. But it can suck if it starts to roll, then it hits a part. Like it can oh, cause a lot of damage. Scratches your car. Of course. Yeah. And
1: that's kind of, that's his. Does I guess you have a lot of uh there's a lot of fury. Cart? Narc. Narcs. Oh. It's so funny. It's just one guy. <laughs> Hello, Lazy Bones. Looks like you didn't return your cart. Can I ask why? Uh, it's so funny. And then flipping
0: the magnet on their cars. <laughs> just asking to get your ass kicked. When does he actually flip the magnet on the car? After they get in or Well, after they like, they,
1: like basically tell him F you, I'm not taking it back, and they start to drive away and then flip,
0: bunk, sticks right on the car. He's so, like he does somebody doesn't. Well, did we just talk
1: about I'm this saying, with the Guns and Sage's restaurant? Playing with fire. He was actually in Federal Way. I saw one episode where he was like in a Federal Way grocery store. I know. And then they stop. They get out. They frisbee it as far as they can. I got another one. Boom! right on. He just you know, continues to. the ass. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. He is a pain in the ass, but, but I do funny. sort of like the cause. Yeah. I'm kind of with him. It's really lazy
0: to not just put your freaking cart back. Well, Hotshot, the All-Star Game uh, rosters are set. The All-Star Game this year in the great city of Seattle, Washington. Going to be a real love letter to the the team that's playing there this year, huh? Well, they're set sort of. Okay. They're not finalized just yet. But as for now, as we record this, no Julio Rodriguez in the All-Star Game in Seattle. Luis Castillo made it. But that's it. There is one Seattle Mariner representative, and you all know this by now. Every team must be represented (laughs) by at least one. (laughs) They got the minimum after all of that. After having the All-Star game just so happens to be here in a year where you're supposed to be really, really good. Fresh and off we're your feeling first
1: playoff win and how long? Playoff
0: win. Yeah. And everybody's, you know, the universe is picking you to be a, a factor in the American League. Yeah. You have the All-Star Game on a sunny July Tuesday night. And for now, one stinking player. That's it. And by the way, I'm not saying that as... I'm bitching and moaning that there's only one player like we deserve more than one player. We don't. Right, right. But one player made the All-Star team. You're saying it more is that it should have been a more productive year. They should be killing everyone. Should have two or three or four. It is. And and, and I'm not placing this on Julio. I, I mean, this is kind of a general statement. The fact that Julio Rodriguez broke onto the scene was in the All-Star game in Los Angeles at Dodger Stadium a year ago. Yeah. In the game, right. playing center field, not to mention the home run derby where he captured everybody's attention, yeah. right? For well, sure. And that a year later on a really good team with the game in Seattle, it could be, and we all hope that what I'm about to say is true, it could be that he makes the next 10 All-Star games and he makes 11 out of 12 All-Star games and the one that he didn't <laughs> make is right here That's in Seattle. so weird. Can you, and I, again... A, I'm not saying that he deserves it because he doesn't deserve it. Stats-wise, he just doesn't. Yeah, not even close. He's coming alive a little bit. Okay. And he's had, I I think he's actually been a little bit better metrics-wise than people give him credit. He does not deserve to be in the All-Star game. I think there's a chance he might still be in the, that's why I say sort of. I'm leaving the window slightly ajar, the door slightly ajar. Somebody might drop out or... There are two outfielders on the American League team. Aaron Judge And Jordan Alvarez, you know about him, yeah, yeah. who probably will not be physically able to play and they're going to have to replace them with two outfielders. Now, one of them is going to be Kyle Tucker, probably of Houston, who's had a really good year, probably should have been in the first place. And I just wonder whether Major League Baseball will just bite their lip, know they're going to get criticized because they're going to leave somebody out that's more, there's clearly more people that are deserving. Sure. But it is in Seattle, yeah, and it is the last spot, and it is an an injured
1: outfielder. It's just the All-Star game, too. It's fine. It doesn't mean home field in the World Series like it used to.
0: But somebody could be not making the All-Star game that might have an incentive clause. That's true.
1: They could have a bonus waiting for him, yeah.
0: Are they going to put Julio (laughs) in at the very, very last second just so – have you seen these, these posters and these banners around town with the All-Star Game promo posters? Mm-hmm. They've got, like, four faces. Julio's in the middle of the, the poster. <laughs> He's like, you might not even make it. not going to make it. He's going to be a
1: collector's item, that, that banner. That's uh, so sad in a way, isn't it? It's a shame. It really is a
0: shame. It's a shame. Had you said to me, what's the over-under before the season started, like yeah. on the night of, of game one of 162 games, if you'd said – all-Star game in July here in Seattle. They're getting ready to start the season. We all thought that they were going to win, I don't know, 90, 92 wins, make the playoffs as a wild card. If you had said to me, Mitch, what's the over-under on how many Mariners will be in that game on Tuesday night, will be on rosters on that Tuesday night at the All-Star game? I probably would have said over-under three and a half or four. Yeah, I would have figured – Two of the pitchers, right? because remember, Robbie Ray's not hurt yet, even though Robbie Ray was stinky last year. I would have said, okay, Luis Castillo and one other maybe of Ray, Kirby, or, Kirby yeah, yeah, Gilbert, yeah. and then I would have said, Julio for sure. Sh- I mean, I would have literally <laughs> bet this house. I know, I know. I would have bet this house that Julio was going to be in, and then I would have thought... You know, a Cal Raleigh. Yeah, had because a biggest catch, Because catchers, there's not a lot of great catchers. Maybe he would make it, or maybe a Ty France would get in the game. Might hit 300 the first half of the season or something. Yeah. So I would have thought three and a half, four. Would have missed it
1: by that much. <laughs> right. What a shame. Terrible. You think the league would just do it? I I,
0: I think they probably will.
1: I mean, didn't they didn't they throw Tom Can Chambers they? in as an alternate in Seattle in 87? I don't recall.
0: I, don't, I know that he won the slam dunk contest one year, didn't no, he? No, he never won the slam
1: i'm pretty sure he, never oh, he didn't slam. okay I, th- I thought he did he had one of the all-time great dunks in a game okay i i'm i made a mistake terrence stansbury won it the year uh, it was in uh, <laughs> the kingdom in 87 no Maybe he didn't it. win it at St- no. Stansbury, but no yeah so I, I think they'll probably throw seattle a bone and put him in you would think there's one spot yeah i would think there's only one spot left do you go to the guys who have better stats than him and ask them like look hey I have a question for you. Do you have an all-star bonus? <laughs> do you want to even go to this dumb game? Or is it cool if we put Julio in? That's I what no, I would do. I don't do. think they do that. They don't do that? They just I, make I don't, a decision and say, eat they
0: it? And when the all-star game begins, yeah. to me, there's one star that shines brighter than, I'm not going to say all the others combined, but let's face it. Come that Tuesday night, there's one guy who should get the lion's share of the attention. Okay. And it's the guy that people are now, I think, starting to ask the question. Maybe somebody would say, oh, Mitch, they've been asking this question for a year. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. But now I'm starting to really hear momentum for the following question, which is incredible that we're asking. Is he the greatest player in the history of Major League Baseball? You know how long, you know how old Major League Baseball is? I do, yes. You know how many years they're playing this damn game? I do, yes. They are now asking... There are people that will die on the hill and say, come on. He's got to be the greatest player. Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, Ken Griffey Jr., put them all in. Nobody compares to Shohei Otani. There are people writing this week and saying this guy is hands down the greatest player in the history of the great game of Major League Baseball. I mean, it is kind of hard to argue on Sunday, Hotshot hot shot, he hit his 31st home run in 86 games. How many does the Mariners have as a team? How many do they have? He's hitting three oh six with 31 home runs. The other night, he hit a 490-foot 490? home run. He is number one in baseball in home runs, number two in baseball in RBIs, number one in slugging, number one in OPS. Oh, by the way, he's stolen 11 bases. <laughs> Since 2021... He's got a 944 OPS, on-base plus slugging. That's better than Willie Mays, Edgar Martinez, Vladimir Guerrero, David Ortiz, (laughs) Chipper Jones, Alex Rodriguez, Hank Aaron, Tris Speaker, Frank Robinson. (laughs) Tris Speaker. And oh, by the way, that guy who's by far and away by any metric the best hitter right now in major league baseball. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's one of the best 5 or 7 pitchers in major league baseball too with a 7 and 3 record, a 3.02 ERA. He is number 1 in the league in strikeouts per 9 innings. That's a pretty good stat. He's averaging 12 strikeouts per 9 innings. Jeez. Since his Tommy John surgery in 2019, he's 31 and 14 with a 2.78 ERA, a 1.04 whip and 502 strikeouts and 391 innings since 2019. So he's essentially the best offensive player in yeah. the sport and one of the five or seven best pitchers in the sport. How by any standard is that not the greatest yep. player in the history of Major League Baseball? And it's hard to argue but it's hard to say that. The history of Babe Ruth, I know, Hank Aaron, I Willie Mays. Yeah. Mickey Mantle. I, Mickey I, Mantle. We're talking about Shohei Ohtani as the best. And he's only 28 years old, by the way. Right. And he's a free agent at the end of the year, by the way. Uh, you and I have talked about,
1: like, he literally should get money, you know, that's w- whatever the highest paid hitter and the <laughs> highest paid.
0: Like, his
1: agent can say that with a straight
0: face he in can. the meeting. He can. It's not being greedy. Uh, he can. I don't know how much oh. he's going to get. I'm waiting to see what that contract to be. Is there going to be a like. billion dollar deal? No, I don't think so. No, okay. No, I don't think it'll be quite a billion dollars. Gosh. But- he, he you so, could make a case for it. If that I'm thing. the manager, and I guess Dusty Baker is the manager of the Houston Astros because they went to the World Series mm-hmm. last year, he would be my starting pitcher in the All Star Game, and he'd be my and I know he only hits he hits like middle of the lot. He'd be batting first. Really, I would just make a statement as the manager of the American League, saying, "Hey, this guy deserves all the attention that everybody else." Deserves times 10, times 100, times 1,000. He's hands down the best. He's the MVP. He might be the greatest of all time. He's my starting pitcher, and he's my number one hitter. That's what I would do. He is scheduled to pitch on Tuesday night this week, which means on four days rest, if they wanted to, the Angels, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, he would pitch on Sunday and then not pitch in the All-Star game, or they hold him out – They don't pitch him before the weekend is up, and he starts in the All-Star game on Tuesday night. And that's probably a hard decision the Angels have to figure out because they're in the middle of something here. Mm. They're in the middle of something that the Mariners aren't, so they may not want to bypass his Sunday start so that he he could be in the All-Star game. But, man. I mean, is there there
1: anyone even close in the history of baseball that – Pitched and hit. I don't hit? remember like, Babe
0: Ruth. I mean, I don't. I know he'd say he was a pitcher, but. Yeah, was but it, I don't think he was. I don't know if he yeah. was much of a. Maybe yeah. he was a great pitcher. I don't know. I don't and know. They, either, and, and you can't even compare because yeah, right. he pitched against like 14 guys. Yeah, right. The same teams <laughs> over and over and over again. And who, know, who knows who he was pitching against? So but. there
1: really is no one even in his no. class no. in the history of the game. No.
0: There's no one to compare him
1: to. Which is pretty surprising considering how, like we said, how long the game's been around. There isn't been one guy who could pitch and
0: hit. Which makes. Yeah. The fact that he can b- do both when nobody has done both and then be the best at both.
1: Come on. It's insane. Yeah, it'd be one thing if he was like a middle-of-the-road pitcher, okay, bullpen once in a while or something. No, to be one of the best at both.
0: What if the Mariners just offered him like $75 million a year? Um, They didn't go out and get a shortstop? No. No. What if they just said they, they they had a meeting, the owners had a meeting and yeah, said, forget it. we're just going to break all of our reputation and whatever the best offer is in Anaheim or New York or wherever he's going to go, Los Angeles, the Dodgers, mm-hmm. we're beating it by $10 million a year. We're giving him $75 million a year to play in Seattle. You know he'd play in Seattle. You know that he'd be comfortable and would love to play in Seattle. Probably, yeah. Imagine if we could watch that guy oh. every night in the lineup and every fifth night on the mound.
1: Amazing. Wouldn't that be sad? Add
0: him to that staff. Yeah, nah. They're probably gonna just put money into the pyramid brewery.
1: <laughs> that we have. That that they're good at. <laughs>
0: Three interviews and then the other stuff segment. It's been a while since we caught up with Jordan Flowers, my main man of the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. How's everything going in Jordan's world?
3: Hey, Mitch, it's going fantastic. I'm uh, chasing old Mitchie in the (laughs) Manager of the Year Award for Little League Baseball.
0: How many teams you got over there?
3: You know, I was the manager of two, both my 10- and Uh 8-year-old. And I got to (laughs) say... I'm going to be giving you a run for your money, man. Combined record? Oh, gosh. We only lost probably six games. Oh, that's six more than I lose. I don't lose. Hey, hey, hey. All
0: right, let's talk about the market, the buying and selling market. It's not easy these days but it's still doable, especially for home buyers. Give us your analysis, Jordan.
3: Absolutely. Uh, Inventory is still a little tight, but better than it was, but we are winning a lot of offers and using that 2-1 buy-down program we've talked about.
0: Tell me about that program.
3: Yes, so basically what we do is we are negotiating with the sellers, getting a price that they want, getting a credit towards uh, closing costs for our buyers, and they use that credit to then temporarily buy down the interest rate for the first two years of the home. So we get through this kind of elevated interest rate period with a 2% lower rate than what market is at. Are
0: people still buying second homes and investment pieces? And what do you have to offer those types of? clients.
3: Yeah. People are buying in Arizona, California, Eastern Washington, kind of all over. We're helping people buy second homes and investment properties. We've got a couple great options for the investment property buyer, uh, especially uh, using that debt service underwriting ratio that we've talked about in the past where they don't even need to provide tax returns. Really what we look for is qualifying our buyers off of the cash flow of the property. So it's a great program right now for people looking to pick up investment property at good prices get an income producing property
0: is there a way to have a best guess of what the next six months or a year look like does jordan flowers have a crystal ball <laughs> I thought I had a crystal ball, but you know, <laughs>
3: is it Ernie Zampezi story? I'm not going to say when, I'm just going to know it's coming, right? Like we're going to get through this and they're coming back down. I think, I think we should expect for the rest of this year rates to maintain in the 6% range. Maybe we see them by the end of the year, get back down in the fives. But I will say when they do come back into the low sixes to mid fives, it will again, open up floodgates for buyers and and for sellers bringing properties on. So there is pent-up demand. It's sitting there, and it's just we're, we're waiting.
0: Well, I've always loved Jordan Flowers and his team at uh, both companies, not Cross Country Mortgage, the Woodenville office, because they're willing to take your phone call and be creative. Think outside the box. And to reach you on a phone that doesn't have a full voicemail, Jordan Flowers? <laughs> <laughs>
3: hey, listen, I just got a new phone. Okay. My kids like to tease me that I'm the no upgrader. Okay. I don't upgrade my phone. Okay. I've had the same one for six years. All right. And I've now upgraded it and I'm setting up the voicemails. Everything's getting better. Phone be number, here. same
0: phone number. Give us the number,
3: please. 425 890 2957 is the best one to reach me on.
0: The Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage and J Flow. Jordan Flowers, without guys like him and companies like theirs where would mitch unfiltered be cross-country mortgage
4: unfiltered
5: the man known as the unabomber died while serving four consecutive life sentences decades after his reign of terror gripped the nation Ted Kaczynski, the one-time mathematics prodigy, became infamous for eluding authorities.
0: Our next guest on Mitch Unfiltered grew up in the woods of Lincoln, Montana and shared a backyard with a man who had purchased some land from her family years before her birth, as I understand it. He brought her painted rocks. He shared meals at her dining room table all while he was producing bombs at the cabin next door. She knew him as Ted or Teddy. Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, was arrested for murder when she was 16 years old, recently passed away on June 10th during his life sentence. She's the author of the book Madman in the Woods. Here's Jamie Garing. Hi, Jamie.
6: Hi, thank you so much for having me and that wonderful intro.
0: Thank you very much. You described him, Ted Kaczynski, as odd, kind at times, scary, lots of layers to this man who lived in your backyard.
6: Yes, there were lots of layers and many years to pull those memories and layers from. So just like any person, he was definitely multidimensional, especially, obviously, Ted Kaczynski, a.k.a. the Unabomber.
0: You said on a number of occasions there were times that you were scared of him, but at the same time, never in a million years could you envision that he was the guy That was the terrorist making bombs. So how do I understand both of those things to be true? Explain.
6: Just a small amount of background. He and his brother, David Kaczynski, purchased their 1.4 acre in 1971 from my grandfather. And my father built our cabin just a quarter mile away in the late 70s early 80s and you know so through the years i was born in 1980 and so i was 16 at his during his 1996 arrest during that period of time there were so many different interactions meetings with this person In the early years, he would, he would bring me gifts and brought me a hand-carved cup as a baby. During those interactions, of course, I don't remember as a baby, but as a little kid, I wasn't scared of him. I don't remember any fear, but as the years went on, those meetings definitely changed. And so, again, when I say there was many dimensions of this person, we really experienced
0: all of them the full gamut
6: yes and in in no way during those times even at his worst could we imagine that this person was the longest running domestic terrorist in u.s history because here he was living in this off-grid cabin 10 by 12 middle of montana no running water no electricity there's no way that we could have Thought And same with the FBI when they first laid their eyes on him, that this seemingly harmless hermit was, in fact, the Unabomber.
0: Did Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, once point a gun at your sister or at you, Jamie?
6: Yes, he did. He pointed a gun at my little sister, who was a toddler at the time, only around two years old. And it was my stepmother and my little sister. They were out doing chores. Our family's land surrounded Ted Kaczynski's. And there was a time where he was out and so was my family. And he contemplated while he looked through the scope of the rifle and pointed the gun at my stepmother and my little sister, contemplated killing uh, both of them. Really?
0: No explanation.
6: It was really, you know, he was fully immersed in his reign of domestic terror at the end. It was very close to the time that he was arrested. You know, he was contemplating if he could kill not only close to home, but more face to face. And, you know, that was not his traditional style. He placed bombs for people to pick up or find and killed at afar. And so this was a much different method, I suppose.
0: Poison the family dog?
6: He poisoned our dog, which I did not discover that it, he was actually responsible for that until after he was arrested. And I was writing my book, Mad Men in the Woods. And I had found some correspondence in which he actually admitted to poisoning a neighborhood dog. And our family pet had died of strychnine poisoning uh, many years ago when Ted was our neighbor. And there was also strychnine found as evidence by the FBI when they searched his cabin. Then in talking to other neighbors, there were other interesting um, events in which animals were harmed or poisoned that corresponded with with ours as well Mm. there
0: was an instance of you running into him in the woods where he might have been testing bombs at the time but you didn't you didn't realize that
6: yeah so he Definitely tested bombs in our shared backyard and um, that was documented in his journals and when I say journals, they are simply like mead notebooks that he would write all of his thoughts down on through the years. In those he he definitely spoke of testing bombs building bombs in our shared mm-hmm. backyard and You know, luckily he he at that point wasn't testing a bomb when when I ran into him in the woods because the outcome could have looked a lot different. But yes, it was again, very shortly before his arrest, I was a teenager and I was out for a walk and we literally went around a quarter and almost collided. And both of us were kind of shocked because one, we're seeing another person deep in the woods, which is not normal. And then also at that point, his appearance had changed through the years. I mean, definitely when he was a resident of Lincoln in the 70s, early 80s even. He looked strange, but he looked a little more like the Berkeley professor rather than the bomber that was arrested and, you know, in the orange jumpsuit Mm -hmm. um, that everybody really remembers. At that point, his hair was crazed. His eyes were wide. There was soot on his hands, on his face. And he definitely looked terrifying and something felt terrifying to me at that point as well
0: you said earlier that the guy who lived in this 10 by 12 cabin with no running water no electricity never in a million years could you have imagined that he could be the unabomber where were you jamie when you found out that this hermit in your backyard was actually arrested and was allegedly at the moment The Unabomber.
6: When I found out that Kaczynski was arrested, I was actually visiting, or I was staying with my mom in California. And I heard it of all places on the radio. It was, yes, it was, um, we were in the car and it was an Alanis Morissette song was playing. And they interrupted the song to announce that the suspected Unabomber Ted Kaczynski had been arrested in Lincoln, Montana. And I think I was definitely in shock for quite some time.
0: I'd imagine.
6: The FBI actually had spoken to my mother prior, had interviewed her, but they, of course, would not tell us what they were investigating Ted for. They were asking questions about Ted, but not Why? Mm -hmm. And come to find out, of course, while writing the book and speaking with the FBI, because that was part of my process is a lot of interviews with FBI agents, specifically FBI agent Max Knoll, who was the arresting officer on the UniBomb task force. He was able to tell me how much my own father was involved. Tell us. That was my next question. He was really
0: really a central figure in the investigation, the FBI investigation. Yes.
6: Yes. He told me that he was more than happy to help me out because my father was the eyes and ears of the FBI during the Unabom investigation which I didn't know and my father had passed away at the time that I was writing the book. So in many cases, I was hearing these stories for the first time and one of the stories was that the FBI approached my father and asked him if he would videotape the terrain of our surrounding property and of course Kaczynski's and his the road that led up to his home, his cabin, Because they were having a difficult time getting images and they needed to plan for the arrest. And so at this point, they had confided in my dad that Ted was the suspected Unabomber and... My father was terrified to do it because he knew there was probably weapons in the cabin. And here, this is a serial killer next door who knows what could happen if he found my father v- with a video camera outside of his cabin. But he did it. He videotaped the terrain, the cabin, and got the FBI everything they needed to prepare for the arrest. And he also would report back to the FBI to let them know if there were footsteps outside of Kaczynski's property. If there There was smoke coming out of the chimney just so they could monitor him better because he's again in this rural environment surrounded by snow and pine trees and very dense forest. And it was a, a very difficult process to to investigate this person.
0: So when they started asking your dad to be a part of all this and now he's thrust in the middle and I'm assuming you're still living with him on the property at the time he must have been petrified of not only his safety but yours did do you recall now in retrospect him kind of locking you down from <laughs> the sky that was in the in the backyard
6: right before the arrest i was at my mom's and during the arrest i was at my mom's but my dad did say that after you know after the arrest he confided in us that yes he was terrified my sister as i mentioned before was very young my stepmother was pregnant with twins yeah the dynamic of our household definitely changed and again he wasn't able to talk about it he wasn't able to even confide in his wife at the time that this person was dangerous but he definitely was more aware and a little more vigilant as far as you know our property and the surroundings Mm.
0: I'd imagine that experts would say that Ted Kaczynski was a man who suffered from serious mental illness for a lifetime that went untreated, and there's nothing that anybody could have done to prevent what happened. But I also would imagine that you and your dad before he passed and the people on the premises might have had some guilt once hearing of the arrest that, geez, Was there something that we could have done?
6: Absolutely. And that was, I think, part of my process in writing the book too, is to kind of explore that and be real and be honest about it. Of course, I was just a kid. I was 16 when he was arrested. Ted was so methodical. He chose that location, that type of community on purpose because in a rural environment like that, the community members really give space to who needs it. And it's just, it's a different culture because there were other people living off grid that didn't seem odd or strange at all. And there were even members of the community and the outskirts of the community that seemed scarier (laughs) than, than Ted Kaczynski at the time. Again, the place that he chose, was very methodical and very thought out. Mm.
0: So you tirelessly researched this man after his demise. Then again, you knew him for the first 16 years of your life personally. Were there relatable threads to your research of the man versus the guy that you knew personally? Or was it like two different people?
6: Many times it felt like two different people. Absolutely. There was this man who could, when he spoke to a child such as me, he could get down, you know, at eye level and be kind and patient, what you would expect of a person. And then there was this person that. I, of course, after his arrest, knew of his crimes on a national level. But as I'm unearthing all of the actions that were happening in our own backyard, Mm -hmm. it was a complete different person that I had experienced as a small child. But then again, a lot of those times as I was growing up and, you know, understanding more of the world around me, for one, and then also You know, as Ted changed through the years and and being fearful, that all made sense, of course, course, when I could look at it um, as as the whole narrative rather than just like these little pieces and little memories.
0: For people who don't remember or don't know, this was a brilliant man. He was Harvard educated, was he not?
6: Yes. He went to Harvard at 16. He was technically a genius. I mean, he um, had skipped multiple grade levels during Grammar school, middle school. And so he experienced some additional social isolation because of that, because of his intelligence and, of course, going to Harvard at such a young age. So he was definitely awkward in that way socially, Mm -hmm. but he had a very high intellect.
0: And why in his distorted mind did he want to kill?
6: Well, that is you might have to read the book for that but <laughs>
0: <laughs> I
3: will <laughs>
6: it really is a very layered question because there's many theories on it I mean I talk about w- what I think pushed him and you know it was really he was really fueled by revenge uh, there was a lot of a lot of anger inside of him. He was diagnosed as being a paranoid schizophrenic and it was untreated. And then there were multiple things that happened during his life to kind of fuel this yeah. person that was being created. And on top of that, his own personal ideals, which against the industrial revolution, technology. And so that was also a source of anger and revenge for him and in completing this mission of domestic terror.
0: So you write the book Madman in the Woods. It's uh, available everywhere where books are sold. Our audience can get a copy for themselves. He had been sick. He was in his 80s. He had cancer. And then we learn of his death a few weeks ago. There must have been, again, I hate to keep saying layers, different layers, but there must have been different layers of emotions for you when you heard that he had passed away. Ted or Teddy had passed away. The Unabomber had passed away complicated, right?
6: It was incredibly complicated. And the timing was so strange. I was in London. Actually, I was shortlisted for an award for best new true crime author. So I was at a very large crime con event Uh with a lot of true crime content. Thank you, uh, creators. And so to find out there, especially being in London, not being home, it was just also shocking, even though I knew this day was coming because I did know that he had been sick. He was in his 80s. Um, It's inevitable, right? But then with the talk of suicide, I think that brought a lot of different complicated emotions as well, because I talk about in my book, the fact that his father had committed suicide, Ted's father, and, um, you know, just how tragic and sad that was for the entire family. And then Ted had actually tried to commit um, suicide as well when he was awaiting trial in Sacramento years ago. And so it wasn't the first time, you know, this theme was present. And of course, the autopsy hasn't been done while we're recording this, so I can't say for sure. But the talk of suicide anyway brought up even like more complicated emotions.
0: Did you attempt to reach out to him? for the book?
6: I did. Yes. And um, he wrote me back. And you asked me earlier if it was like these two different people people. And it really, the letter that he wrote back, which I include in the book, really represents, in my opinion, those two different people. One was kind of personal, you know, giving a nod to our lives together so many years ago and then the back of the letter is just basically like his stream of consciousness like talking about freedom and society and it's very much Ted Kaczynski mm-hmm. in this one letter that he sent
0: as you and I sit here today after those correspondences and now after his death are you convinced that he never would have hurt you or no no no,
6: no. I'm not, and he... He, could, he I, had he, said
0: during the trial or during the investigation, sorry, during the trial, that he hated your dad, right? Yes.
6: He definitely said that he hated my dad, In there was an interview that was included. The one I'm familiar with was a interview that was included on the Netflix documentary that um, I also participated in called Unabomber in His Own Words. And yes, he hated my father, and I think if the opportunity presented itself, he would have definitely harmed my dad. Again, it was too close to home, although he figured out ways to potentially hide that. One example would be that he strung up neck height wire in our surrounding backyards because I, for one, would, would ride a little Honda motorcycle, very like a Honda 80, very small motorcycle around. It was an attempt to, I mean, it truly could have decapitated someone who came around the corner going too quickly. And he wrote about doing that in his journals, again, that were found after the arrest.
0: Hard to even fathom on this side of the microphone. Jamie Gehring is our guest. The name of the book is Madman in the Woods, the story of Ted Kaczynski, who lived for years and years and years in her backyard in the woods of Lincoln, Montana, in a cabin, 10 by 12, no water, no electricity. She knew him until she was 16 years old when he was arrested under the suspicion of being the Unabomber. Jamie, it's so nice to see you. Thank you so much for being on Mitch Unfiltered. Let's do it again after your next book, okay?
6: (laughs) Sounds good. Thanks for having me.
0: It's been a while since my friend and Mitch Unfiltered partner John Waterstrat joined us and there's good reason. He's been busy. An exciting major facelift to some
2: of the fireside showrooms. How are you, J-Dub? I'm doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having me back. And yes, it it has been busy and we're excited to unveil some new, cool new projects. We have a new sales director that came along and he's been putting his footprint on the showrooms and we're excited about what he's doing. We're going to put some new fireplaces you've never seen before and then we're redoing our whole outdoor kitchen area.
0: Wow. The fantastic flagship Bellevue location was already beautiful, so I can't wait to drop by and see it. So what's the rumor about some big project you're coming up. Some enormous fireplace that you guys are ready to install.
2: Yes, our commercial department's doing a fantastic job. And as we've talked about before, we can do almost anything in fireplaces. And custom fireplaces are getting bigger and bigger. And we're hoping to uh, unveil the one of the largest fireplaces in North America. It's going to be pretty wow. exciting stuff. How big? Roughly 25 feet.
0: And you're not going to tell us where it
2: is, but we'll be able to see it sometime? And we'll be able to <laughs> see it and we'll talk about it. Yeah, it'll be exciting. Oh, that's yeah.
0: going to be fun so now that we've reached let's call it the off season for fireplace use it's actually you and i talk about this one of the better times of the year to start the process of redoing the fireplaces in your home or like you guys did for
2: us an outdoor unit yes i mean when the weather gets nice out there things go a little bit faster so we're not fighting the weather whether we have to extract a fireplace put a new one in and then again outside as well when you're out there we can get something done pretty quickly for you right now now. And so when you're looking at the off season and you have a schedule and and you want to get something done quickly, it's the best time to do it. Yeah.
0: Whether it's fireplaces or garage doors, begin your search at firesidehomesolutions.com. I'll bet you'll end your search there, too. It's sponsors like John and Fireside that make our shows and growing guestless possible. Fireside Home Solutions and firesidehomesolutions.com. Ladies and gentlemen, she's the director of financial planning at our Mitch Unfiltered partner, Evergreen Golf Call, Katie Versio. She's also my arch nemesis when it comes to financial trivia. Katie, how are you? How's everyone over at Evergreen Golf Call?
7: I'm doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having me.
0: Everybody's good over there. Our theme today is what?
7: So today we're doing a market update.
0: Okay. Which brings us to three questions. I typically go over three. I'm I'm feeling good i'm feeling good today so i'm ready for question number one
7: as i know we discussed quite a bit over the last few months 2022 was the worst year on record for a balanced portfolio with both stocks and bonds down double digits so true or false in 2023 both stocks and bonds are up is that true or false it's
0: absolutely true katie versio
7: that's right yes. it is true yes. So the market is off to a much better start this year, even though there's a lot more economic uncertainty. Mm -hmm. The stock market's up about 8% and bonds are up nearly 3%.
0: Very good. And I am up one for one, which screams at me, quit Mitch, quit right now and go out one for one. But I'm not going to do it. I'm going to press my luck. What's question number two, Katie?
7: Okay. So number two is another true or false. We'll see how you do with this one. So the yield curve is currently inverted, meaning that short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates. Is that true or false? I'm gonna say false, Katie, that's false true. Ah. So I know it's uh, it's counterintuitive. Typically, you think the longer time frame you have, the more interest you get. Mm-hmm. But it's actually the opposite in this environment. It's typically an indication of a recession and you actually get more interest for shorter time periods. That's actually
0: surprising. It leaves me one for two. I'm not quitting. I'm continuing to press my luck. I'm going two for three. What's question number three, Katie?
7: The 10-year Treasury currently pays pays an interest rate of 3.5%. So knowing what we talked about in number two, right. what do six-month treasuries yield? So 10-year yields three and a half. Does a six-month treasury yield 4%, 5%, or
0: 6%? We know more. The question is how much more? I'm going B. I'm going 5% for 667. I'm going 5% for two out of three today.
7: That's right. It is 5%. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So it's an interesting environment where you only get three and a half percent for holding a position for 10 years, but you get five percent on the short term. So it's a really interesting environment with interest rates elevated at this level. We think now is a good time to lock in return. You can get better interest rates on money markets now. There's a lot more options for investors to park their cash than just a regular savings account.
0: It's an unusual time in the world, the financial world, and they are there for you. Not only a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered and part of the reason that we are possible on this podcast, but just a terrific resource. So check them out. EvergreenGK.com. Unfiltered. It has now been 50 years since the Munich Olympic massacre. It happened in the summer of 1972 when 11 Israelis were killed by Palestinian gunmen. One of the victims was American-Israeli weightlifter David Berger from Shaker Heights. In the summer of 1972, ladies and gentlemen, the world changed. The sports world, the entire world. Suffering one of, if not the darkest times in sports history. The Munich Olympic Games, Summer Olympic Games. 11 members of the Israeli national team murdered by Palestinian terrorists. Historian and professor Warren Perrin is the author of the new book, The Weight of History, The Power of Apology, Remembering Lifter David Berger, 50 years after the Munich Olympics. Warren, welcome to the show. I understand you have a little history here in Seattle from
8: 1962. Absolutely. (laughs) I had the pleasure of going with uh, six other people from Louisiana, Louisiana, to the Seattle Worlds Fair with an unair conditioned 62 Ford, and we camped in a tent for four weeks. Where? We spent three nights at Mount Rainier Park. And you saw Elvis Presley recording what? The famous movie Elvis Goes to the World's Fair.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you have great memories at age 15 of that. Tell our audience who David Berger was, born in the Cleveland suburbs, an undergraduate student of Tulane University. He was your friend.
8: He was my friend and he was my competitor. We often clashed uh, over a three year period of competing in Olympic weightlifting. He had come to Tulane because, uh, well, number one, Tulane has about 60 percent Jewish students and David was a Jewish and also Uh, New Orleans, in particular, had become a hotbed where some of the better weightlifters were were training and competing and winning. And they had begun to challenge uh, the best team in the country. That's York Barbell Club. Mm -hmm. And so I think he wanted to be a part of that burgeoning sport in Louisiana. And uh, we were part of that at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. And uh, we were starting to challenge the New Orleans Athletic Club, which had been dominant in the South. So David could not only compete for Tulane, but he could compete with New Orleans Athletic Club. And so that's how we came to know each other through competition. And he was the first Jewish person I ever met. Most people in South Louisiana are Catholic. And he had never met a Cajun. And I'm part of the Acadians who were deported from Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. Now we're known more for our music and our food. But uh, we just hit it off and had remained friends until his death. The Odd Couple: Walter Matthau, Jack Lemon, David
0: Berger, Warren Perrin. So he went to Columbia, double degree. He's a really brilliant guy. Uh, got an MBA. I think got a law degree. Went to Israel, lived in Israel, and was a part of that Israeli national team that so tragically went to the 1972 Olympics. As a, uh, as a weightlifter, you know, it's already 51 years ago, and I would think, Warren, that most of our audience might not know the specifics of this nightmare at the Olympics, the break-in to the Olympic Village, the attack, the hostages, the transport, the role that Munich police had engaged in gunfire. Would you mind walking us through a little of it, a little of the history to teach some of our audience?
8: Sure. Uh, That was a third principal player in our lives. And that was a, a Japanese American weightlifter. Walter Amahara was on our team, but he ultimately joined the NOAC and competed internationally with David. So Walter and his wife, Sumi went to the Olympics to watch David lift as did David's siblings, his brother and his sister. So, They were shocked to see how little security was in place. Mm. But you have to understand the historical background because, as we recall, Hitler used the 36 Olympics to show the might of the Third Reich and the dominance of the Aryan race. So here was the first time West Germany had an opportunity to showcase their peaceful nature. So they went too far the wrong direction. Barbara told me, she could literally walk into the athlete's village wearing her brother's jacket or carrying his cap. I mean, that that's how lax it was. And so it afforded the opportunity for eight terrorists, a splinter group called Black September, which had been created so that the PLO led by Yasser Arafat was trying to showcase the peaceful nature of the PLO, trying to go to the United Nations. And here we have this terrorist group created to disrupt the Olympics and bring to the attention of the world the plight of the Palestinians. It's chilling what happened. They were obviously provided with pass keys to the Israeli athletes' bedrooms because at four o'clock in the morning, they jumped the fence, as did many athletes coming in past curfew, being uh, probably most of them drunk. Some of the athletes literally helped the terrorists get into the village, not knowing they were terrorists. They were carrying bags, but the bags had uh, machine guns, and hand grenades and uh, they went directly to the rooms so somebody in the inside had provided them with this information and a lot of the employees in the village were Arabs. One of the weightlifting coaches heard scratching at the door as they were trying to open the door and he, he barricaded the door, he weighed over 300 pounds and that gave some of the athletes an opportunity to jump out of a window and save themselves but ultimately They shot him. They shot a second athlete who attacked them. So two were killed right from the get-go. They disemboweled one of them and cut his throat and left his body on the floor where the rest of them could see what they would do if they didn't follow instructions. And that set off 30 hours of sheer terror, and the world stopped. It was the first time the Olympics had been stopped, and the world for the first time felt if the peaceful Olympics can be hijacked, then no one is safe. That's what the world was thinking. It was the beginning of terrorism as we know it today.
0: Two were killed immediately, nine were taken hostage. This lasted for, you say, 30 hours. The nine were then transported,
8: explain. Golda Meir offered to send the Mossad to rescue him. The Mossad was the only security force in the world that was trained to free hostages. But the German constitution prohibited, because of World War II and the peace agreement, a foreign country coming into West Germany with weapons. So it was left up to the municipal police to negotiate and attempt a hostage rescue. They were totally untrained. They didn't have the equipment, but they did the best they could. And they told a massive lie the terrorists. They said, we will concede to your wishes. We will fly you to Egypt. We will release 263 Arab terrorists held in prisons in several countries, and everybody will be free." So to transport them to the airport where a large uh, airliner was waiting, they brought them in two helicopters. And as soon as the helicopters landed, about one o'clock in the morning, it was pitch dark. The police turned on spotlights and started shooting. It was such chaotic. They shot one of their own. The terrorists then realized they were being tricked. And so they quickly machine gunned the the hostages and threw grenades into both helicopters and they killed the remaining nine hostages.
0: And David Berger, though, was not shot dead. He actually, as we found out later, died of smoke inhalation. Because of one of these hand grenades that went off, the continuing saga of the botched rescue attempt.
8: Correct. The police had not called out the fire department, so it was a delay of a couple of hours before they could actually get on the scene and put out the fire. And in the meantime, in David's death certificate, which was actually prepared by the Israeli doctor for the team who had also provided steroids to David, which is another part of the story. And so uh, he had been shot in the leg, but it would not have been a fatal wound. And had they got on the scene quicker, he may have been able to be saved.
0: And Warren, there is that infamous, I was going to say famous, that infamous television moment, Jim McKay on ABC. They're gone. They're all gone. I think McKay was on ABC for 14
8: straight hours live covering the event. Do you remember watching at the time? Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I had gotten time off from work. I was a young attorney, but everybody knew that I was following David. So they gave me the day off. And you should also recall that there was false information released at, oh. right after the attempted rescue. McKay said they're all freed. And that was a mistake. And David's parents, Dr. Ben Berger and his mother, Dorothy, were watching And they waited for David to call. They knew he would have called them right away, and they never heard for two hours. And they suspected that it was not true that he was dead. Mm. And then McKay had to come back on and said, our greatest aspirations and our worst fears are Mm. several achieved. But in this case, our worst fears have been recognized, and they're all gone.
0: Warren, how do you explain that the Olympics didn't deal with this the correct way? For all of these years, why would they not properly memorialize these athletes correctly the right way?
8: I guess we have to first look at Avery Brundage. He suspended the Olympics and invited the athletes to go to the stadium the next day. And they held a, a memorial service. And he just said, we'll not let terrorists disrupt the games. The games will go on. When Golda Meir heard that, she immediately recalled the Israeli team. It's terribly ironic and sad, the Palestinians had petitioned to be allowed to compete as athletes, and they were denied. The irony is the Palestinians showed up uninvited and the Israelis had to go home and not finish competing in the games. Mm -hmm. It's another tragedy. But Mm -hmm. so some of these careers that had been planning for four years to compete were not even allowed to compete. Why? It's a big question. And that's going to be part of this investigative committee of six men that was recently set up for the 50th anniversary. David Berger was a pacifist. He was against the Vietnam War. He wrote poems. He wrote songs. He wrote plays. But to go to the Olympics to represent Israel, he had to join the Israeli army. He sacrificed a promising law career. And shockingly, he dissolved his marriage to his high school sweetheart who wouldn't follow him to Israel. So they had to have an amicable divorce. And he spent two years preparing for this. And his father repeatedly asked for a moment of silence at the beginning of each Olympics. And they were denied. Wow. So they, they slow walked it. In wow. Rio, they did a little ceremony, but it wasn't as part of the official ceremony. Wow. So it really wasn't until the 50th anniversary, uh, September 5th, in Munich, on the spot at Furstenbach Airfield, where they were killed where the president of Germany, not the Olympic Committee, although the president of the Olympic Committee was present, said that they extended their apologies for the lack of security, botched rescue, and the cover-up for over 50 years.
0: The cover-up is the disgrace in all of this.
8: Yes, and the families that have been fighting for this, you know, for so many years, Annie Sprinkler and many of these widows are to be admired. I mean, they pressed the case and they threatened to boycott the memorial service unless the language was acceptable to them. And they also were each uh, given reparations. I think $36 million uh, was paid to the living members of the athletes.
0: You talk about David being a pacifist. His parents, in subsequent years after the, the murder, begged Israel not to retaliate, Right. A plea. Absolutely. A plea which the nation ignored. The country went after every single person directly and indirectly connected to those events of 1972. In fact, innocent people even died. And then they reached out to Dr. Berger to announce to him that everyone was gone that participated.
8: Yes. Golda Meir and her secret group that was created was featured in the film Munich Steven Spielberg won an Academy Award for that. And it shows the extent to which they went to retaliate. And she had volunteered from her officers. They had to agree to go into hiding, not see their families for several years. And it was really something. uh, Some of their officers were killed by the Palestinians who retaliated against them. They accidentally killed several people, including a young man in Norway and three of the officers with Israeli Mossad were convicted of murder. So Mm -hmm. it lasted 20 years until Dr. Berger got that chilling call one night and someone with a heavy accent said, your son will sleep well tonight. We have got them all. You've heard,
0: Warren, the recordings of the condolence call from Richard Nixon to David Berger's family. I've heard you discuss that in another interview. Describe to our audience the nature of that call.
8: That's one of the uh, really disappointing parts of it. And I was told by the family that Dr. Berger was confused by the tenor of the call from President Nixon. We we all know that President Nixon wasn't the warmest uh, fuzzball in in the House, but He had to be prodded into actually making that call the next day. We obtained the Watergate tapes and heard H.R. Haldeman pressing president to make the call. Elections were coming up. They needed the Jewish vote. Haldeman said, if you won't do it, we'll ask Kissinger, who just turned 100 years old and is Jewish. Mm -hmm. And so Nixon said, no, I'll do it. Call him. So the call lasted barely a minute. Nixon did offer help. He said, what can I do? And Dr. Berger said, well, could you get the Air Force to fly back his body to Shaker Heights for his funeral? Several airmen volunteered to do that. So he basically said, I'm sorry, we couldn't do much more. You know, you can't trust this terrorist. We're going to have to find ways to deal with them. Uh, goodbye. And then what you start hearing is Nixon cussing and saying you can't trust in damn Jews. They released the uh, Pentagon Papers. Ellsberg had just done that. He thought that the labor statistics numbers were being cooked by Jews and the labor department. I mean, it was kind of crazy how he was rambling. So that was sort of a sad part of what our research revealed. Warren, why is David's story
0: in the tragedy of 1972 in Munich so important for us to relive and remember even 51 years later?
8: Working hard sacrificing to obtain a goal. And your listeners would be moved to read a simple seven stanza poem to An Athlete Dying Young by John Housman. And it's just so powerful, written in 1870. It captivates David's life because at 28 years old, he achieved his his life's dream. And 72 hours later, he's dead. And that's what this poem's about. The poem is A runner who is nameless in a nameless town in a nameless period wins the big race and he's carried through town on the shoulders of the townsmen. The very next paragraph, for some reason, he's dead and he's being carried again on the shoulders to the graveyard. And the poem is one of passing into another life is not so bad for an athlete who has achieved the ultimate glory because he'll never know that his records were broken. He'll never know defeat. To me, it's, it's just perfect for what happened to David's life. And I, I wrote the book. It came from a short 500 word piece that I put in a newspaper for an anniversary of his birth. And it reached his family. And we, they gave shared with me all of his personal scrapbooks, photographs, names of high school friends, I just had to write it. It's a it's a remembrance. It's a way of remembrance 50 years ago, someone who sacrificed, achieved his goal and then was wiped out by terrorism. And isn't it strange how we're still fighting terrorism today? And I don't mean terrorism from the Palestinians. I mean, the gun violence, the the mass shootings. I mean, it's like who would have imagined 50 years ago? that we would still be dealing with terrorism as we know it today.
0: Warren, you're a lovely man. The name of the book is The Weight of History, The Power of Apology, Remembering Lifter David Berger, 50 years after the Munich Olympics. It's available everywhere where books are sold, Amazon, you name it. You can go online and find it. It's brand new out. Warren, thank you so much. You waited since 1962 to come back to Seattle in our own little way on this podcast. Don't wait so long the next time, okay?
8: Thank you. I'm out.
0: Come see you one day. <laughs> Warren Perrin, the author of the book, The Weight of History, The Power of Apology. Thank you, Warren. Merci beaucoup. Hey, look who it is. It's Lindsey Schwartz of Daniel's Broiler. Lindsey, are the restaurants still thriving with you on the golf course three or four days a week? Hey, Mitch, good good to talk to you. Yeah, I wish I was on three or four days a week. Come but, on uh, now.
9: But, I, yeah, I can't complain. Come I, on, on now.
0: You're telling I'm, me you're not on the golf course three or four days a week? I'm on maybe like one or two days a no, week. No, you're not. <laughs> come on. Sometimes three or four. All right. I always focus our attention on some obvious qualities of Daniel's like the steaks and seafood, the incredible ambiance and service. But here's something we never talk about or don't talk about enough desserts. Now, can we talk about desserts and make people in our audience want to go to Daniel's just for the desserts?
9: I think so. I mean, we, you're right. We haven't talked about it much. I'll tell you what, I'm a big dessert guy, so I would love to talk about desserts.
0: I'm not a big dessert guy. I'm not a big drinker, but I want to hear you talk about the desserts at Daniel's. Tell me, please.
9: I'm a dessert guy and a drinker, but but (laughs) let's, let's talk about, let's just talk about desserts. I'll tell you what, you know, we've been around a long time since 1980. we got a handful of desserts that have been around since day one that are just old school, old time favorites. And they're so good that we we never change them. We've got a New York style cheesecake, which I think you have to have if you're a steakhouse. We have a creme brulee, which is awesome. Again, you have to have it. The other one that we've had forever is the coconut fudge sundae. I may have talked about it a little bit, but it is so good. I mean, it, and we do it differently. It's a, it's almost like an upside down sundae. So we line the bowl with fudge and refrigerate that. So you got this thick layer of fudge on the bottom. And then we put the delicious uh, coconut ice cream on top of that. And I mean, people have loved that for over 40 years. It's awesome.
0: Do you have an ambulance sitting outside? to take me directly to the hospital after I have that dessert? <laughs> we should. I don't know.
9: We, we know where all the closest uh, hospitals are to each uh, restaurant, so. so you don't have to worry about that. But but then, you know, we also have some, some of the newer ones. We've got a chocolate decadence cake that is relatively new. It is what it is. It's a decadent chocolate cake served with vanilla ice cream. A newer one is a peach melba butter cake. So butter cake is something that we've seen at other steakhouses around the country. And then I got to mention also, just uh, it sounds simple, but just the ice cream. We, we use Olympic Mountain Ice Cream, which is a company, family-owned company that's been around as long as we have. And uh, you really just see their stuff in restaurants. You don't see it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And they come up with these amazing, unique flavors. They kind of pick the flavor and, and we serve it. But like For example, there's a brown butter almond toffee, which is killer, strawberry rhubarb pie. White chocolate espresso flake With caramel swirl Jeez. I could keep going it's, wow. uh, it, it's It's been a staple for us and, and a great partnership for us And we just love it
0: My god, I ask you about your steaks Your seafood, your ambiance And you give me 8 seconds I didn't know, I need to be asking you about dessert all these years <laughs> I told you, I've known you 20 years you, know, you, just, you can't figure out the right questions I'm a dessert guy, let's go ah, Daniel's Broiler, world class steakhouses Unfiltered
9: mom refused to tell her her real identity for over 50 years where she was possibly abducted after being born in 1966 this is Simbali ruffin or monique smith which is what she went by for most of her life she lived the early years of her life in an abusive household having no access to birth records until she ran away from home after high school
0: we have shared some incredible stories of courage and perseverance in our five years of the unfiltered podcast but this one this one is as unique as they come I, I want to say meet symboli Ruffin from Baltimore Maryland but I don't know if it's okay to call you symboli because I I see where you're just adjusting to that name do you want Monique or do you want symboli or do you want both and it's a pleasure to speak with you
5: Oh pick a choose pick a choose because <laughs> I just found out that yes my name is. Simone Ruffin, but for over 50 years I'm affectionately known as Monique.
0: Monique. And and tell everybody why you've been affectionately known as Monique over the last 50 years. You said recently women don't talk about their age but I'm running around boasting I'm 57, I'm 57, I'm 57,
5: right? (laughs) Absolutely, yes. It's incredible. Um, It's just still surprising to me that I walked under the radar for over 50 years with no true identity known to me, no birth certificate, which means I didn't know what my name was. I did not know how old I was. I did not know what state I was even born in or even from this country, as I was challenged uh, before in my search uh, to be an illegal immigrant, trying to Muster ways to come up with um, paperwork. Were you believed to be the
0: longest living Jane Doe at the time that you found out who you were or no?
5: In the process of my search, the Salvation Army, who has been around since the early 1800s, specialized in homeless people, veterans, orphanages. And I took my story to them. I actually have a certified letter from them from uh, back in uh, 1986 and 87. Okay. That uh, unfortunately, after all of the help and resources they had gone through, they dubbed me a Jane Doe. You know, wow. so you know, I just ran with it, but I never knew it was going to get to this level. Um, so I just really appreciated the help they had given me. For the longest time, until about a year ago, you were known as Monique.
0: You were known as Missing Child Number One Two O two nine
5: eight. Do I have that number right? nine <laughs> eight. One nine eight. One, one, nine, two, eight. <laughs> <laughs> another number I remember. <laughs> so, yeah. So I was very fortunate. I reached out to the National Center of Mixed and Exploited Children and I said, Hey, I'm a missing kid. And they were like, what are you talking about? I'm like, the missing milk carton kids. Don't you remember families who, and they go, yeah, this is what we specialize in. And they just couldn't fathom because they're used to families or local uh, law enforcement agencies, federal governments reaching out to them about cases of missing individuals. And I'm like knocking on the door saying, no, it's, it's me. I'm the missing kid. I'm just, I'm all grown up now. <laughs> um, so it took him a good year to investigate my, my story and made me a case. It intake.
0: I, I guess I, I'm going to ask silly questions, but my teacher back in grade school told me there's no such thing as a stupid question, Mitch. Yeah. So I'm going to ask them anyway. What made you think that you were one of these missing children? You grew up in the 1980s. I read that right. you you escaped an abusive upbringing. You ran away from home. When did you begin to believe that the woman who was raising you was not your actual mother. What led you to, to all of this?
5: Well, I never saw my birth certificate. I know I had one title. So although the family was really, really weird, my role as a human being was I was a mom. So my priority was making sure I secured my children and yeah, you know, their dad was happy. Did No problem with that. But as a mother, I couldn't even prove that my kids were my children. And unbeknownst to me, at the birth of all four of my children, I wrote a fake name on their birth certificate. But what led me to it, again, is I never saw my birth certificate. And hearing the little stories that I was hearing as I was growing up, I was kind of like putting two and two together, and I just went for it. I started calling them the state of uh, any government, municipals, the Social Service, Department of, of Education, the Board of Education, you name it, just to find out what happened. And that's when it blew up in my face. You know, different names in different states. Her, She was an alias. So I, I was shocked.
0: What age were you when you ran away from home and these little stories that you talk about hearing? Did you ever confront your I put my fingers up mother about these things?
5: Well, early on, I did. And I was always uh, met with some form of being chastised It was either verbal or physical, never to discuss it. You know, how dare you talk to me, asking me such things. So that was at 18. But the abuse was so horrific. I knew that I was meant for so much more. I saw classmates. I saw neighbors. I saw loving families. And I said, I got beat every day and and twice on days that it rained. And it was just I couldn't fathom until, yes, I ran away. But at the assumed age of 28 it's really when the stories just started hitting me, you know, because I got away, you know, from that life and just really focused on who I was and who I was going to be and, you know, just becoming looking at my net worth and self-worth and my value. And I I, I could do this. I know that I can do this. So that's when I seek ways of finding out my identity and those stories were like, you're not my daughter anyway. You're not my niece anyway. You're, you know, you're not my cousin anyway, but as a child, eight, nine, 12, when you hear those things in the house of abuse, you know, you're, it goes along with the punishment and the pain. Do you know, I how, never separated. Do you know how you got there as a baby? Well, now I know that this woman abducted me from the state of New York oh when I, at God. the age of one. Oh my God. Yeah. At the age of one. She abducted you from where? Actually, from my mom's home, like from my my they had Seven children, and this woman couldn't conceive. And I think they crossed paths. Of course, you run into a vulnerable woman, seven children. My mom was by herself at the time for my learning, me understanding uh, what actually happened. And look, CeCe Moore from Dateline um, News, actually a DNA detective, helped me do the research through Ancestors.com and 23andMe. So it was very successful for me to be able to go back and tap a little bit into my lineage, my heritage.
0: Before you found these professional people that helped you ultimately get to the finish line, talk about the years between, I mean, you're 57, I'm 56, we're the same age. Um, Talk about those years in between where you're posting flyers And you're making amateur, let's call them amateurish attempts to find out who am I? What's
5: my name? Where do I come from? Yeah. So I went on a multi-state search the year that I got the paperwork from the municipality, saying that, you know, there were the inconsistencies were there. And after I contacted the National Center for the Children, because it took them a while to actually pull that narrative together and say, how do we how do we confirm this and get this done? And the FBI were, you know, saying, you know, how do we know that you're not a criminal trying to obtain a new identity? I was just met with so many challenges. But to me, making the posters, making the flyers, going on a national search, listen, I was reaching out to Oprah, Ellen, Sally <laughs> Destiny, Raphael, Jenny Jones, Ricky Lake, Maury, for you I just needed my face on television in hopes of someone recognizing me. So that's when I went on a personal campaign to find out my true identity. I am the ancestor.
0: You are so inspiring and courageous for so many reasons. I love that you're on the show. Thank you. I, I don't even know. There are so many layers to how impressive you are. Let me give oh, you. Let me give you one. During this time, you run away from home. You don't know who you are. You're essentially on the streets. You build a career. You have four children. Did I get that right?
5: Four yes, children. Yes. You purchased a home. You Several did- homes. Property. Now I'm property investing. Yes. So, so
0: and you're doing all of this, not having any Thank idea you. who you are. Those years what what incredible strength that is.
5: Thank you so much. Oh definitely a lot of fear was going on as well because knowing that I had to get rid of two 600,000 dollar life insurance policies why because without a birth certificate, you don't get a death certificate and my kids would not have been the beneficiaries of any of my policies. So all along I'm thinking if someone's gonna come in and take my home, someone's gonna come into John Hopkins, which I worked at for six years, John Hopkins University, and say, hey, you've given us fake identity. And I didn't know that it, was, that it was fake identity. You know what I'm saying? Like, I had no clue. Yeah. And again, I just kept on going as long as I could, flying under the radar.
0: Then a Maryland state police detective enters the picture and helps you. Tell me about him.
5: Well, her name was, it was Uh Debbie Fowler. Yeah, it was Debbie Fowler. And I reached out to her again because every single opportunity I had to to share my story to to get some people. And it really helped other agencies. I mean, we had detectives come out of retirement for missing children cases and start because they heard my story. They had families that hadn't seen their loved one that had gone missing for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, start their campaign all over again. So once she put me in the portal, and kept my information circulating with the National Citizens for the Children, uh, the Nick, Nick which is the National Crime Information Center. They did the same exact thing. So it built this huge footprint. Look, I was not going to die on nobody. You hear me? I was going <laughs> to uh, I used every resource. But yeah. again, every single thing helped out. And we reached HBO. They saw the story, they saw my documentary that I did. And it was just again reaching out to every agency Incredible. possible. So I've been blessed on top of all this.
0: right. So talk me through finding out that you had five adult sisters in New York. I would yeah. think I would think when you find that out. Okay, we're getting to the finish line now. Once I get to those women. I can find out who I really am, who Monique really is. And it didn't even happen it, that way. It did help. It did yeah. help. They they just knew yeah. that they, they knew that they remembered like vaguely a little sister, you were the youngest of the the six, is that right? And I was I'm number so
5: it's a total of seven surviving sisters and I was number 6 at the time and again with the DNA that CC Moore had done uh, with Dateline News, with Ancestors.com and 23andMe, me, of course my detective Debbie Fowler, when they kind of put this whole concoction together and that was the sister. So it was one sister, which was the eldest sister that remembered a baby sitting on the bed one day and the next day the baby was gone. Oh. And she was actually, when I reached out to her made the connection, she was looking for a death certificate. Everyone thought I was deceased. They, after 50 years, there was no... You know, thought process that I was still alive. And that's my mission. My mission has always been to share with people all missing children aren't dead. We're out here. Yeah. Yeah. Don't give up hope until, and it's unfortunate we, some have the body bag to come home, but that closure means so much to every family.
0: Do you have a relationship with your? your sisters your newfound sisters
5: now over the last year year and a half yeah yeah so we're all in contact with each other it was a little surprise i had to like do the whole blend. it's like dating you had to blend the families together like you like me i like you you like me is this gonna work okay. i don't eat spaghetti with sugar in it but i don't you know <laughs> all
0: right so your birth certificate monique Simboli. your birth certificate was in new york Amongst, amongst millions of other birth certificates, millions, you can't get your hands on it because you have to prove who you are, but you can't prove who you are. So that's this catch 22
5: going for the seesaw going back and forth. It something? Yeah. Yeah. So and I'm experiencing it even right now. So although I was physically presented my birth certificate through investigation, I cannot even use the name. I can't legally move forward the name. So I still have to get an attorney. I have to petition the courts. I have to go through the whole process um, to even use it, which is really, really the strange part about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but my the Tim, which is from the Baltimore Banner, He's an investigative reporter. Yeah. He, like you, it was like question after question, like, this, this isn't real. This is impossible. Who's out here to help you? I mean, I can't believe that, you know, you don't have the information yet. And that's what really drove it. Individuals like Tim yes, yourself, who continue to manageable. share the story. Yeah. People heard. They sent in rec- recommendations and referrals and tips and leads. And I just never gave up. And it helped so many other individuals.
0: All right. You got to tell our audience. You you get the call from a director in New York. They've got (laughs) your birth certificate in a file in their hand. And you then get in the car and drive, I'm assuming, from Baltimore to New York. Yeah, with some friends and the yep. reporter from the Baltimore Banner. Yeah, exactly. What, what was that drive? How I think about anticipation going to a football game. I mean, come on, <laughs> this is this is crazy. What was that drive like? And and open that file to see your yeah. name is Simboli Simboli Ruffin. Tell me how that worked.
5: It was incredible, everyone. There were, people have been on my journey for so many years, so I'm grateful that they had time to go with me. The reporter, I think he deserved it because he kept honed it in and got me the connection with New York, the video photographer who was there, even the director. This case was the very first case and he had been there for over 15 years, had ever experienced it along with the assistants that were there. They even made a special room, a wing for me to kind of go in instead of me just driving up, saying here's the envelope and give it to me. So they presented it to me in such a beautiful manner, a beautiful way. And it kind of just gave everyone energy to want to do more, to think more about hope. How do we continue to elevate humanity, you know, to never give up on yourself? Mm. It was just amazing. And I'm singing up there. I love you, Symboli
0: <laughs> Ruffin was yes. born on May 13th, 1966 at oh, Old goodness. Fordham Hospital in the Bronx, New York. You now know that you have your first passport. Have you traveled? Where have you gone? No,
5: no, it was a surprise. So again, now people have been on this journey for over 20 years and they found out I had my birth certificate. One of my girlfriends called me and says, meet me. She's like, get your makeup on, meet me at the library. I'm like, what are you talking about? Just meet me there. And she paid for the entire process, walked through and got the whole process done and in a few months right in my hand for the very first time was my and they had a a particular document i so it came from new york so i couldn't just use it without this particular letter from them to be able to use the passport so i haven't used it yet
0: you haven't used it yet where do you where do you want to go
5: i I don't know i've been all over you know the country just you know but i've never left yeah where do you you want to go I had ne- never even done it. My kids have been everywhere. I have two military men. Yeah. Um, my daughters have traveled across the country, you know, so I just never feel... Oh, oh.
0: Another one of those silly questions. Since you found out who you were... Yes. When you were born, saw the birth certificate. That's about, I yeah. guess, about a year, a year and a half ago. Yes. Yeah. Has it been different waking up in the morning? Do you wake up feeling different the last year than you did the first 56 years?
5: Actually, no. And I think um, because I'm known as Monique, you know, it's, it's who I was able to build myself on. Now in my birth uh, years, it was Monica and I changed my name when I ran away because I didn't want to get found by that family. Mm -hmm. Um, There was Monica, So they kept changing. So once I started myself using Monique, I embraced that woman to be, you know, the ancestor for my children. I knew that I wasn't going to have a story for them. Like a great-great-great-grandmother worked in the White House and we have land in Texas. Mm-hmm. No, there was none of that. But me continuing on this journey, and even if I would have died without knowing, mm-hmm. I wanted to leave a large enough footprint that my Children or grandchildren later on can pick up where I left off and find our our story, our family. So,
0: what do you want people to call you the rest of your fifty? You got fifty more years, man. Come on. I'm trying.
5: Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to say symboli. You know, symboli, symboli. It's spelled F-I-M-B-O-L-I. <laughs> so I'm struggling with. The pronunciation. All
0: right. Is there a movie deal in the works that I heard? Yes.
5: Yes. So I have not only been reached out by uh, to by Lifetime. They uh, interviewed me several times, and I am officially under contract as a candidate. For uh, a movie, yes. Yes, yes. yes, yes. I've had guests on before
0: who we've talked about how their stories should end up on the big screen. And I always ask them this question and I get a giggle out of some of the answers. So who would you like if you could have anybody in the world to play Monique
5: Turnsymboli? Who would it be? Oh, no. Unfortunately, I think the angle that they're going to take is the beginning stages of the story when I was abducted, you know, growing up, the levels of abuse. I didn't, haven't even thought that far, really. Come I got, on. I was, that's going to be gonna my homework. Actually, when I started talking to the directors, they were talking about doing the filming in Canada and or Atlanta. But, you know, I know actors kind right. of move around a lot. But right. I still, you're giving me homework. You got, <laughs> I got more work to do now. More investigation. <laughs>
0: well, I said to you before we started, I'll say it to you as we begin, as we end, Just incredible. Just incredible. After 30 years or 25, 30 years on the radio, I decided to do this podcast that I wanted to be a lot more than just sports. People know me in Seattle as the sports guy, but I wanted it to be inspiring stories that we can draw so much from. And you fit the bill times a million. Thank Thank you you so so much. much. What a, what a grand personality. What a lovely woman. What a, What a prized person you are. Thank you so much for sharing your story on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you. Keep in touch and tell me where that first out of the country visit is, okay?
5: That and the actor that's going to play me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Monique. Thank you, Sipoli.
5: All right. You have a great one.
0: Hey, let's check in with the president of Zeke's Pizza, Mr. Dan Black. Hiya, Dan. How's everything going over there? Doing good, Mitch. How are the eastern spots, the two spots that are furthest away from headquarters spokane and boise doing
4: yeah you know it's been interesting we didn't quite know how difficult that was going to be and how much the brand would be known and stuff and it's been great the new location on the outskirts of boise and eagle is just going crazy and we were happy that you know there's a lot of people that knew about zeke's down there and you know, there's a lot of people that don't still and and we're working on that but the location's been busy it's got a great patio so as summer kicks in there it's getting even more amped up same thing in spokane they have a great patio it got really popular for gonzaga basketball games in mm-hmm. particular and your favorite basketball <laughs> coach on earth um but you yeah, know so no we're we've been We've been really happy with the two locations that are, you know, really outside of our core. So, so far, so good.
0: I need a summertime beer selection. I understand you've got two new collaborations in your vast library at Zeke's.
4: Yeah, no, we've got two awesome ones this summer. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, what we call collabs a lot, which is just a fancy term for saying that we have relationships with most of the great breweries in the Northwest and they often brew beers that are exclusive to us. And we call those collabs. And so when we say collab, it just means that it's a beer that really you can only get at Zeke's and a brewery. One's already going, it's called the reach Pilsner. And it's got a good backstory. I think I've mentioned that Tom and Doug founded Zeke's. Cause they didn't like working for arthur anderson and writing code and of course they knew that the internet and computers would never be big anyway so they <laughs> started started a pizza company but you know part of the reason they started their own business so they could windsurf at the gorge and the reach actually refers to a stretch of the Columbia where they windsurf. And our partner on that is a brewery called ferment. The head brewer down there is really great at Pilsner's and we like Pilsner's cause they're easy drinking. They're low alcohol. Even you could handle a couple of those. And so, uh, so the reach Pilsner's going right now, it's an easy drinking summer beer. And then we're doing a re-rack of, The one we did with Fremont Brewing last summer so in July, we'll have another version of the Z-Side IPA, which will definitely be too aggressive for you, Mitch. So stay away from that one. (laughs) So, yeah, we got the Pilsner going right now, the Reach Pilsner, and then we got Z-Side coming up in July, and they're both really good.
0: It's quite a selection of beer at Zeke's Pizza. You know Zeke's Pizza for for their great Northwest style crust and pizza. But boy, what a beer selection that continues to grow and grow. We love Zeke's Pizza, an incredible partner of Mitch Unfiltered, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Episode 245. Here comes the other stuff segment. Hot shot, Scott. Got a quick question for
1: you. It's a new game sweeping the nation, capturing the hearts of America. Are you ready? It's called
0: Cheap Ass or Genius? Cheap ass or genius? Yes. I make the decision? Yes. Is there a right and wrong answer or do, is this an opinion? It's totally an opinion, okay. but this has okay.
1: been right. a discussion online for okay. a while. Okay. There's a video of a man peeling a banana and tossing the peel in the garbage at the grocery store before he places it in a produce bag, The just the part of the banana you eat in a bag on the scale and only paying for the part that you eat. He's, he's literally peeling the bananas at the checkout so stand. So it weighs
0: less. Much? Yeah, but sure. I thought bananas are now... I don't know. I thought I paid by the banana and not by the weight. Am I wrong about I, that? You might.
1: Where you go, I don't know. But this guy was caught on video.
0: That. I may be making that up. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, but you might. Maybe it's 29 cents a banana. I yeah. don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Save, the, save the guy the trouble. The, <laughs> this guy. and Someone did the math. The yeah. peel is a third... Oh, really now you're interested now you might be doing it so this guy's saving a third off on bananas and what did he do he with the
0: card after he went to the uh <laughs> to the <card.
1: laughs> you gotta see this guy so is that a cheap ass move or come is on. he a genius come on he's not 33 percent off on bananas come every time here. you go to the store it's come a hell of a deal now but well, some come people are now. defending it online it's like almost half and half no, when you read the
0: comments no no no, no, no. I'm with and, you. And, but on top, on. and on top of that, he's actually hurting himself in the long run because a lot of the if he's only, is he only getting one banana? I don't know how because many. Because if he's, he's getting. getting five or six, they're going to go bad because they don't have the peeling on them. So he's going to lose those bananas <laughs> unless he plans to eat all the bananas in one sitting. It's actually a pretty good thought. Another, I didn't read that comment. And another question is why do people think the bananas you slip on? I don't think bananas are particularly slippery. And every comic that I've ever read in my life, when you want to slip, when you put something on the floor, it's a banana. Bananas aren't, are they slippery to you? I think it's the banana peel they're talking about. So you you take
1: the peel and you put the slippery side down. But is it really that slippery? Well, Mitch, as a kid, I once tried it because every comic I read and every cartoon I saw... It's pretty damn slippery, actually. Yeah, it's pretty slippery. Okay, (laughs) it turns out. Is it really? Yeah. Okay. If you take the peel off and put it like face down, you know, you know, there's like five things, and you put it face down. It's pretty slippery. Yes. Oh. So this guy, total cheap ass, right? But some people are defending him, like some some woman said,
0: "Marry this guy. He's smart, good with money." This is no. That's pretty ridiculous, right? Come on. It's like why I thought you were actually asking me one that was going to be debatable. This is not debatable. Well, not according to the internet. I don't There's give a, a shit spark about the a conversation the internet. I on TikTok. Even, I, I don't even get the internet in my house. I mean, the that's life. true. Now,
1: I've been known to crack the eggs and throw the shells away and then put them in a container when I check out. No, you But don't. this is something a bridge no, too far as far didn't. as I'm concerned.
0: My other stuff leadoff
1: hitter is ESPN and all the layoffs. Have you been following? No, I haven't. But I thought they had a huge one like maybe a year or two ago, a couple years ago. They've just been... Well, Dyson and Dyson over there. Well,
0: Disney, although the and I don't know that I say that right, I never could say that right. say Dis, what? Disney. yeah, that's right. I always say Disney. Oh, that extra syllable. D- yeah D- people that. Disney apparently is cutting seven thousand jobs the whole corporation. okay in an attempt to save five point five billion dollars. <sighs> so I guess this is a small part of that. but have you seen who's been laid off at ESPN names that you you've come to wreck even you now having reckon that at. Berman's still there, right? No, I don't think he's there. I don't think he's been there for years. Oh, okay. He's like a...
1: I thought they just sort of paid him. and He doesn't yeah, really do probably, anything. Probably and, yeah,
0: Yeah, yeah. Matt Hasselbeck, ever heard of him? Wow. Gone. Steve Young, ever heard of him? Really? Gone. Susie Kolber, ever heard of sure, her? Sure, been around 27 forever. 27 years. She was in... I went to do... I went to do a demo tape as a T. Te- I should find that. Oh yeah. When I was like twenty, I was in college or just out of college, and I I went to the ABC affiliate in West Palm Beach, Florida, <laughs> to go do a demo tape doing the local news. Oh no, like the sports and on the news. She was there. She was the weekend. She wow. was the weekend news anchor or the sports anchor on the weekend. Susie Culver. Crazy in West Palm Beach. I'm pretty sure of it. Gone after 27 years. Jeff Van Gundy on the. The NBA on ABC, the number one team, gone. Jalen Rose, gone. Wow. Keyshawn Johnson, gone. Todd McShay, the the draft guy, gone. Dave Pollock, David Pollock, gone, and many, many more. That's amazing. They are sending pink slips out like nobody's business. Cleaning Eddie the house. Yeah. I, I feel I'm trying to save a lot of money. I know, but it's weird. Like I went to Disneyland a couple years ago.
1: <laughs> Eighty-two dollars for a. Fucking churro. Like, I don't understand. How are they possibly needing to save money? I don't get it. Just think
0: if they would up the cost of that churro from 82 to 83 or <laughs> oh. 82.75, all these people could save their jobs. Totally. Because it would pay that extra 75 cents yeah. over the course of a year for all the churros, could save Susie Colbert in a yep. heartbeat. So she has the churros to
1: blame. <laughs> I mean, ESPN.com has to be. The most profitable website ever? I, I don't know. I can't I come know. up with a note, But yeah, how many people go to ESPN on a daily
0: basis? I mean, even how, you. Uh, occasionally, I do. Yeah, uh, but you got—I follow the uh, the work of the Sammamish softball team on ESPN.com.
1: Yeah, they'll have to get to the World Series before that happens. But um, the God, Disneyland bitter. is insanely expensive. At Disney
0: Plus, be, everybody buys. Would you be behaving like? Let's say you guys won the whole thing last year. Oh boy! And we're literally crowned. Oh little League World Series softball champs world I don't champs. know what do you what do you get world champs I don't know what do you get gold medals or I what do no whatever we wouldn't know but let's say you won a whole would you be acting exactly the same way as the champion or is there a little business interesting undone fearful I mean not in your mind and you're probably right in your mind there's no chance they're going there and doing all that but you know maybe there's a a point zero 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 one percent thought in your in in the cockles of your heart that oh my god, what if they went and did more than we did? It's probably not going to happen. If you were champs, defend not defending. If you were reigning champs, yeah, would your behavior be different on Mitch Unfiltered? Maybe not as entertaining. That's for sure. Would you feel like a dignitary, like, hey, we're gonna root for whoever it is that's uh, we're the champs, whoever's gonna take the the District Nine, man? Uh, you know, it's more the baton, un- the District Nine baton. I think
1: I can admit to more unfinished business than it is worrying that they're gonna win the whole
0: thing. That that I'm not worried about,
1: but yeah, there is like an unfinished business
0: because you guys, as I recall, and I and look, I I watched a little on the TV. Mm-hmm. You weren't yourselves in one of those games or two of those games, right? Didn't they? Yeah. Did they Lose a game or two where you just didn't play like you had been playing. It wasn't as much about the opponent. It was it, well, maybe it was a little bit yeah, about probably the opponent. Like, but, they, both. but you were like making mistakes. Your team was they, had a mistakes. they had a blow up hole. They had a blow up hole. To use a golf, a golf analogy, yeah. and, and you're and, like in, in each we game. do that, and
1: we didn't even do that. It was one to one in the sixth inning yeah. against Southern yeah. Cal, and I'm, we lost seven I'm, one. Like I'm
0: here. I'm gonna go back and listen to two forty four. I think I hear a little of that.
1: There might be a little of that. There might be a little of that. But it's but it's not. Oh, boy, I'm worried they're going to do better than we did. That I'm not worried
0: about. Damian Lillard wants to be traded. You know I have that? Yeah.
1: It's a sports story. How about <laughs> that? And I was going to ask pretty you. Pretty good. I was going to ask you, because I don't fully watch the NBA. Nobody
0: really does. Okay. Around here.
1: Like, I know at one point he was arguably the one of the best players in the league. Still is. He still is. That's what I was going to ask you. I don't
0: know that he's exactly the same level as he once was, but I still think he's one of you know the top 15 Yes, uh, and okay. I don't I, you know I'm speaking out of my ass and somebody who follows the NBA Kevin Pelton's listening right now going he doesn't know what he's talking <laughs> about
1: because he had that game winner where wheels oh, is on like the call and that's like the height of his power he powers. can bite
0: through a rope that opposing coach
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's what I remember of Damian Lillard just yeah. being and cl- unstoppable
0: and clutch and clutch right like, yeah yeah like Michael Jordan-esque clutch so I was waiting for you to
1: tell me if I should give a shit about this or not that he wants I out I just
0: think it's a very interesting thing that he's gonna force his way out yeah. after all these years and he'll probably end up on um i don't know a miami heat or a philadelphia 76ers god willing the, the eclipses of los angeles as they get ready to go into their new building in a couple years mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know yeah but they're, they're i think gonna, it's a pretty
1: interesting story they're going to give him his wish it sounds like right yeah, they're gonna yeah. trade him
0: that's paul allen's estate yeah jody allen his sister that's uh calling the shots how about lebron james you told us a couple of weeks ago that he bought a $37 million Beverly Hills mansion. Yeah. Did you not? I'm sure
1: I did. I love those I, I, stories. I yeah. think
0: you did. I think you told me that LeBron James a few weeks ago purchased a $37 million <laughs> Beverly Hills mansion. Let me tell you a little bit about his dream home. It's two and a half acres. <laughs> yeah. With a pool, a pool house, tennis courts, one of the largest driveway gates in Los Angeles vaulted ceilings seven fireplaces four bedrooms eight bathrooms seven fireplaces <laughs> a screening room a trophy room and a breakfast courtyard with teal tiled fountains he's blowing it all up really yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no good no good demolishing the <laughs> whole oh god the whole thing doesn't want any of
1: it yeah this is a not knock totally a new... knocking it down wow imagine how many fireplaces you said eight seven eight
0: Seven fireplaces. God. None of the fireplaces are good enough. A screening room, not big enough. <laughs> a trophy sucks. room, not big enough. <laughs> the breakfast courtyard with the teal tile fountains. Yeah, we're not quite up to snuff. He's he's God. just taking a wrecking ball to all of it. Imagine. And starting from the ground up. But imagine what it will look like. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to buy oh, a thirty seven million dollar Beverly Hills mansion and then say, I don't want any of it. It sucks. Just get rid of it. This
1: place sucks. Get it out of here. Get it out of Start here. Start over. Anyway. Amazing. Something positive finally came from social media after all these years on Friday. I don't know if you saw this or not.
0: If it was on Friday, I didn't see it.
1: A Facebook post may have prevented a tragedy that could have had fatal consequences. This video is kind of scary. Really? It's a video of a roller coaster zooming across the tracks at Carowinds Amusement Park in North Carolina, and it revealed a huge crack on a steel support pillar, which separates and then snaps back into its place as the cart goes around. Mm. Like, here comes the coaster around the corner. Wow. It, it's cracked. It's literally cracked. I know. And every time it goes around, it's oh cracked my and moving. God, I don't want to watch that. It's called the Fury 325 and it was shut down after people on social media began to share the video, presumably to fix it, I would hope so. Mm. Finally, social media did something good and no. they're going to fix a roller coaster. You're
0: going to have to send me everything that you saw on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday because I didn't see any of it. That's true, yes. You Thank you, Comcast. Off the grid. Where's Max? Yeah. Uh, the NFL on Thursday suspended three players for at least a full season. And another for six games in the latest batch of punishments by violating the league's gambling policy, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, you love this. Indianapolis Colts cornerback Isaiah Rogers and defensive end (laughs) Rashad Barry, along with free agent defensive tackle Demetrius Taylor, are all indefinitely suspended and must sit out at least the 23 season, at least the whole year before seeking reinstatement. All three were found to have placed wagers on NFL games. Gosh last season they bet on NFL games there's no report as to whether they bet on their own team right. or against their own team Tennessee Titans offensive tackle Nicholas Pettit Freer also was suspended for six games though because he bet on non-NFL games from his team's facility oh really yeah he was on his phone making <laughs> <laughs> like, like on baseball and basketball and golf like how,
1: how do people think they're going to get away with that it's not 1974, is it? No. Like, everything is traced. Everything's tracked. Let's say you win big. The, how are you going to get the money? It's going to come to you or something you're associ- There's no way you're just going to get away with this. And by the way, the NFL salary, just not enough, huh? Just not cutting it, need a little extra.
0: I mean, God, when's enough enough? And Why, I, why, why so greedy? I tend to believe that you're right, that you can't get away with it. Yeah. But I don't feel like these guys made a... A good enough effort to get away with it? Wouldn't you just do it through a friend? Yeah, of course, yes. Or somebody you don't even hardly know. I guess you you wouldn't do it through somebody you hardly know. <laughs>
1: they'll, they'll be in Mexico with your wedding. But I mean, but... there's
0: got to be a way to make it a little more difficult for the NFL yeah. to find you out. Are these guys just opening DraftKings accounts and just uh, under their own name right, and, they're, and, they're and their debit card account, and what, like what, what? Insane. Do it. Do it from somebody on the corner where it's hard to trace. I know. I'm not saying that they would get away with it. But it might be more difficult for them to get traced and tracked right. if it were some... Use a VPN. Get you know, a little creative. Yeah. Now I'm just sitting on their phone in the locker room making some bets on the... Unless you're the baseball coach, the college baseball coach, who insisted on actually talking to the guy that was making the bet <laughs> as he walked? That's right to the front to make the wager. <laughs> Jesus, oh my
1: God! Yeah, this, this kid sucks. You're going to want to go ahead and bet against him. See you later, Chuck. <laughs> God, it's so it's so greedy. All right, it was a rough day to be a Golden State Warrior on Thursday while Clay Thompson and Steph Curry were bad on the golf course. I don't know if yeah. you saw any of that. Yeah. Draymond Green showed he's got zero skills when it comes to chugging a beer. Oh.
0: Did you see this video? No, no, no. So Kelsey, I didn't have internet.
1: Yeah, that's true. You didn't, but (laughs) Kelsey gave Green a 12 ounce beer, a Coors Light, and the video is oh, it's awful. It's painful. The poor guy could not chug one beer. It's hard to watch, and I actually thought this is probably what Levy would look like if he had to chug a beer.
0: (laughs) Want to do (laughs) one? Do it right now. I I don't know that. I don't know that I've ever chugged. I don't think I ever ever chugged an entire beer. beer, Really? Yeah. I don't know what a. Just drink the whole thing in one. Without breathing. Well, I mean, you do Yeah, I could. Do, I could do it. Oh, you could.
1: Well, oh, you drink a lot of soda. Like right? you like diet soda, right?
0: I do, but so I don't chug can, them. It just—it's something about the video. I think diet soda would be more difficult because of the gas. Yeah,
1: because the carbonation. Carbonation. So that's kind of what right? I'm wondering. If, yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. could probably do it, maybe. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. oh, the video is just hard. Just it's just a beer.
0: Why? Why when you read the story? Do you have to <laughs> throw me under the bus?
1: Can't, I, well, you're not a drinker. I mean, Draymond's probably not a drinker either, for all I know. Can't, know?
0: can't the show <laughs> exist with you just talking about the Draymond Green <laughs> yeah. inability Shung, to chug a beer? Yeah, why does it have to <laughs> I thought go you for to some Mitch reason. Levy yeah. not being able to chug a beer? Yeah, you probably I, couldn't. But we're going to have to put that to the test at some point. I'm truly humbled to be stepping into the footsteps of the legendary Pat Sajak. Okay? I can say, along with the rest of America that it's been a privilege and a pure joy to watch Pat and Vanna on our television screens for an unprecedented 40 years, making us smile every night and feel right at home with them. Pat, I love the way you've always celebrated the contestants and made viewers at home feel at ease. I look forward to learning everything I can from you during this transition. I can't stand him. (laughs) Signed, Ryan... 200 million a year Seacrest.
1: You still have to kiss Pat's ass publicly. Like, you are you don't have to do that. You're fine. You got the job.
0: By the way, while we make fun of Ryan Seacrest, what we don't rarely say, which we should is, is there any guy with less edge in the world than Ryan Seacrest? No, I mean, that's, that's, that's why a, you get tired. That, that, that's exactly right. right. This is exactly the PR statement. This yep. is exactly oh. the statement you would think that Ryan Seacrest would release.
1: How many episodes of Wheel of Fortune has that guy watched in the past 25 years? It's probably Not zero. A one. Right. So I love the way you celebrate the contestants. He's and, got oh,
0: no. Oh, I don't find anything interesting about Ryan Seacrest. Oh, you're the one.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I heard there was one out there. I'm glad we found him.
0: Honestly, he's I he's the most boring human of all
1: time, which is why he gets these gigs. God, I'll never say this anything. Is American Idol. Oh, yeah. Cha-ching! You remember there were cha-ching. two of them when that started? Yeah. Dinkelman. I Ryan, I think yeah, it was something I, I Dinkelman. back then. And Dinkelman, I think, left after the
0: first episode it or maybe was booed. At, he's the fifth Beatle. Is, is, is he the guy that was in Bosom Buddies with Tom Exactly Hayes? right. He's oh, that the guy. guy. that was in Bosom Buddies, Peter Sc- Scolari. He popped up in a couple he, things. Had a nice, he had a nice run. He, he got was, an Emmy Award.
1: I've and, seen him naked. I remember that really he was on a show called girls Oh, i thought you were like with him in a bathroom (laughs) no it wasn't that intimate but he was in a show called girls and he played Uh one of the girls dads and he Ah. was naked and passed out or something anyway speaking of pat sajak you know he took he was they was photographed in hawaii he took a little little vacay after dropping the bombshell Really, he was seen front row at a concert pat sajak now who the hell was he seeing in concert you get five guesses
0: go First, give me an L M N. Okay, all right, S all right. and T. Uh, <laughs> it's a band. Two
1: words. Around since the seventies. Love songs. Oh. Both of the words start with A. The name of the band is two words. A oh, I'm sorry. A S. Not it. A S. The first word is A. The second word is S. Love songs. I bet you probably like them a
0: lot. set.
1: Air supply. Air, oh, I'd go with them. <laughs> I know you would. That's why I brought it up. I'm all out of love. Oh boy. I'm here <laughs> yeah. You. yeah. I knew you were right. Oh. For so long. <laughs> they have a million songs. Now, here's here's my trivia question.
0: Isn't that the guy? I, I mixed them up with Ario Speedwagon. Who's which one has the curly hair?
1: Well, Kevin Cronin, the lead singer of R.O. Speedwagon, does have curly hair. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Can you name either singer in Air Supply? There's two. Oh, no. Isn't that
0: weird, though? No,
3: it's
1: you not probably weird. Know it's a, not weird at all. Well, you probably know a dozen songs from them. You probably know a lot of songs do, from them. I do, but I don't know names of singers. But I don't think anyone knows their names. Isn't that weird, though, that they're not household names at well, this point? go to Cheers. They, yes, Graham Russell and Russell Hitchcock. You never would have got nah, that, don't huh? No. So yeah. I've talked about before, there should be like an algorithm of the most heard voice... With the least amount of people knowing that person's name, I got to do that again because that yeah, I'm not
0: that's articulating. Over. That was, that was well. over my head. Say that one more time.
1: So pick an artist who's been heard by you know millions and millions of people, radio airplays, big yeah, fan. Yeah. But the most amount of people don't know the name of the person whose voice you're hearing. There's got to be some kind of formula. There's got to be a, a champion. Give me some name. Give me some. Well, examples. air supply. A million hits. They've been around forty oh, years. because
0: they don't know the names of the yeah. singers. That's right. I like see, you couldn't I do see, Michael see,
1: Jackson. I see, I see. If you heard Billy Jean, you'd go, "Oh, that's Michael." You know his name.
0: Yeah, but if you heard an Air Supply song, you'd say Air Supply. Yeah, but you should know the name of who's singing, right? Yeah, but a group is a group. Yeah, I it's guess different than a, than a,
1: than an, an individual artist. Right, but if you heard a Rolling Stone song, you go, "Oh, that's Mick Jagger." You know what I mean? Like it's just weird that no one knows. Like I, my example that I always use is the lead singer of the Doobie Brothers, not Michael McDonald, the original. No one knows the lead singer. Meanwhile,
0: he's had a million hits. He, Peter Cetera. Exactly. Still being played on radio. I oh, no. I've got some RIPs for you. Okay. Former NFL quarterback. This is a really sad one. Ryan Mallon Broke right after I got home, I think, from your house a week ago. No, because he died on Tuesday
1: from a drowning. It, it, so. Well, he died, but did we know about it right away? I don't know. I feel like I saw it. Like I feel like I was leaving your house, and I was no, like. I don't think so.
0: Okay. It happened on Tuesday in Destin, Florida. Crazy. He was swimming in a very, very violent set of waters, very dangerous. I guess a lot of people were swimming there and ignoring the the signs that said, don't do this. I, I, I don't know the details, so maybe I'm speaking out of turn. First responders were called to the beach. He went to the Arkansas. He was a big, tall guy, played oh, yeah. for the Patriots. 775 Gulf Shore Drive at 212 on Tuesday after a group of swimmers near a sandbar were struggling to get back Ugh. to shore lifeguards pulled one of the individuals later identified as mallet out from under the water and he wasn't breathing he was pronounced dead at the hospital 35 years old so big sad. strap you know what I'm talking about sure big yeah. strap and quarterback yep. in Arkansas who played for a minute for the New England Patriots I believe and then this one is horrid absolutely horrid police believe that NASCAR driver Jimmy Johnson's mother-in-law okay wife's mom Terry Janway Shot and killed her husband, Jack, and their grandson, Dalton, on Monday before turning the gun on herself. So Jimmy Johnson's family, the NASCAR driver, not the the former coach, is really in mourning. Three members of the family shot to death. Terry, 68, was found dead inside the residence along with her husband, Jack, 69, and their 11-year-old grandson, Dalton. Terry and Jack are the parents of Johnson's wife, Chandra. Uh, you have on your list Alan Arkin. I do, yes. 89 years old. I think everybody knows Alan Arkin. Maybe you don't know him by name. Maybe you do. I mean, if you saw him on the TV or on the movie, you would recognize him. He for was sure. For me, he was like, He was like the perfect supporting character. He was never, maybe I'm wrong about this, but in my eyes, he was never the lead role. He was always the guy that somebody else played off of. Yeah, and he kind of stole the scene. He was Stole the scene. Yeah. Scenes, exactly. Yeah. He won the Oscar for Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah, he's the grandpa on that. He was uh, on stage and on screen for seven decades. He was 89 years old on June 29th when he passed away. In more recent years... You and I... The love Kaminsky him. Method, did you see it? You saw it, right? So
1: good. I, he made me laugh. So good. He wasn't even like trying to be funny, but just the, the it, surliness it, it does, made me it laugh. It doesn't
0: look like he's trying to be funny. He does yeah. it with such
1: ease. Yeah, yeah.
0: You never felt like he was acting. Right. It felt like you know that guy, yeah, like yeah. he's like your uncle or oh, something. Oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, he was so, I mean, if you haven't seen that, I don't know that everybody would love the Kaminsky Method with Michael Douglas, but I loved it. So good. Those two guys together were just <laughs> so great. He was in Glengarry Glenn Glen Ross, Glen Gary, and he was in a Glen, ton yeah. of
1: Will and Grace. He yeah. showed up in yeah. Argo. Yeah. So th- this isn't an R.I.P. But if you're following the Madonna thing, no, it's Maybe. kind of so it's so she was hospitalized for a serious bacterial infection. Oh, and she's not out of the woods yet. So it looks like she's
0: still bedridden. Are you like shoving her towards the R.I.P.s, or what are you doing with but her? God, just in case. I mean, we should talk about it. this. Yeah. Is kind of bad. Like. How People old are, is Madonna these days? Got to be in her
1: mid to late 60s. I was going to say probably 60, yeah, but yeah. so it looks like she's still too sick to even get out of her bed in her New York City apartment. Well, she's been shame. recovering since Wednesday. Shame. She was released from the hospital. It looks like she's going to delay her tour that's supposed to kick off on July 15th, but sources around her say she's been vomiting uncontrollably, uncontrollably, oh and the infection's still wreaking havoc on mm. her body. So, this one is horrifying. This isn't a death. Did you see that story of the airport? The woman at the airport. Okay. This went down Thursday morning at Don Muang International Airport in Bangkok. A woman lost part of her leg after uh, getting caught in a moving walkway. No. 57-year-old Thai woman reportedly 57? suffered the injury while trying to make a 940 a.m. flight. Her foot became trapped in the moving walkway in Terminal 2, and horrified onlookers rushed to hit the emergency off-switch as her leg became mangled. Oh. And you can see like her foot is trapped under the belt a medical team had to amputate her leg above Uh, the knee to get her out and you want to know why i don't come out of the house that's right exactly why you shouldn't the ap reports the woman's trying to get her leg reattached she's been to multiple hospitals so next time your flight's delayed and you're pissed off remember it could always be worse for some passengers out there awful you're trying to catch a flight Nah,
0: you got your leg amputated great i put one more rip down just because i figured you knew him but because you you seem to be a wwe guy or no darren the draws draws dov no yeah who it, suffered an in-ring injury in yeah. 1999 that left him paralyzed from the neck down died friday at the age of 54 university of maryland defensive lineman before he became a wrestler so he's kind of like the He
1: he's a big a dog bit he's big you know and who tough. i'm talking about yeah, yeah. sure because
0: the injury yeah. the injury i can't remember who
1: injured him don't know um but he ended up staying friends with the guy for years but but you see I when mean, you, you saw the wrestler and what he looked like but then you'd see him now and he was in his motorized little cart and he was tiny and it was Uh. just sort of heartbreaking. So yeah, that was a tough one. Yeah. RIP to him. Yeah. Headlines. Sure. A grandfather received a scare when he opened a bag of broccoli and found a live snake tucked inside the stems. After reading the story, every single kid in America was quoted as saying, see, I tried warning you guys about eating that crap. A California man gets prison, gets a prison time for bilking customers. Out of nearly $9 million wow. for a phony cow manure to green energy investment scheme. I'm curious, is this the first time someone's been arrested for literally selling a load of shit? A Brazilian soccer fan leaves everything in his will to his favorite soccer player, Neymar. Oh, great, oh, said yeah. his relatives. I'm glad my inheritance went to someone worth $250 million. And finally, not even a joke. A man, yeah, right. It's more of a statement. And finally, a man is facing video voyeurism charge after he allegedly flew a drone to peer inside the bathroom window of a female neighbor who heard the buzzing sound while in the shower, according to Rhode Island police. When the man was asked what his plans are after the embarrassing arrest, he only offered up two words: silent drones. <laughs> That's how he got caught. She hurt him. Uh, yeah, not good.
0: Any final parting remarks from my favorite Sammamish Little League softball team? They're still your favorite after all this? They are my favorite. My favorite lefty first baseman. Winners of the first two, one-two. Let's have a barbecue. Yeah, yeah one nothing without the... They don't even need, a hit, they don't need to get a hit to get to win games. Apparently. And then they hit a lot yeah. for 16 to love, and you think they're going to lose to North Shore. Yeah. But you thought they were going to lose to the first team. So. I
1: did, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're going to lose to North Shore. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly. You
0: heard it first. I felt at the time disappointed for you that you guys didn't win the, <laughs> the World Series. Now you... Yes. And now I feel even worse because it... <laughs> <laughs> I would have gotten a more upstanding yeah. gentleman across from me on episode two. But you have to. You, you just admitted that that, that that was the. That's a part of the little problem here. No, but you have to remember there was some ugliness
1: three years ago with Skyline and Samamish right. basketball. Right. Uh, so it, this isn't just something new with Samamish.
0: These are 12 year old, 11 and 12 yeah. year old softball players.
1: Come on. I said it's more the coaches, not the kids. I don't yeah. think it's the kids. I think they're probably a year away. They look young and small, and I I think they're a year away from making a run at this thing.
0: Did you say you think you hope?
1: (laughs) They're probably a year away from making a run at this thing. You think I'm a mess now. Wait till they all come back next year and kick the shit out of everyone. That's going to hurt.
0: Well, the one consolation is, at that time, you'll be winning the 14U World series. True. World. That is a good good point. If I can pull that off, it's fine. Episode two hundred and forty five <laughs> Go Sammamish In the book.